Hi, this is Penn of Penn Teller. You're listening to Diminishing Returns. I listen to it all the time, but I've been known to lie. And welcome to the Diminishing Returns Christmas Special of 2019! We would like to thank our patrons for voting for the films we're talking about today. And what is it going to be, boys? That's right, your ah! silence. <laughs> that's, that's my impression of it, to, to hint oh. along. Oh good, that was a very subtle hint. Uh, yes, of course, we're doing the Home Alone movies. So, let's just introduce ourselves quickly. Hello, my name is Alan, and I am your friendly neighbourhood Santa Claus. Over there is Sol. A lovely cheese pizza just for me. <laughs> Who is our local neighbourhood uh, Macaulay Culkin personnel. And of course, with as everyone's favourite elf, is Calvin Dyson. Hello. I'm just <laughs> sat here warming up my feet by the log fire. This is my Tim Curry impression. Oh, oh I, th- I thought you were doing no, Malcolm McDowell from the fifth one. But <laughs> oh. more, more of that later. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right, guys, before we start, okay, we're covering the Home Alone films, the big family-friendly kiddie films, so I think if Joe Pesci can do it, so can we. So no cussing <laughs> tonight. No, nothing okay. that wouldn't pass in a PG. Just lots of rajafraj. <laughs> oh, you have rajafraj. Oh, yeah, yeah, a lot of mumbling under the breath. Yeah. It's fine. But yes, if Joe Pesci And, and can you, are allowed, you are allowed to go, son of a... <laughs> yeah. As, as I noticed, the, uh, the fake Santa did. Hmm. <laughs> All right, when let's see how we get on there. Start. But we need to watch each other because it just comes out naturally. So you know, let's get let's get on that clean iTunes list. But yeah, so done an episode without swearing. We must we, have done. Have we? <laughs> your, your father. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, our patrons uh, voted for what Christmas uh, film we'll uh, be doing this year. Patrons, and yes. Our patrons, and they chose Home Alone. What were what were some of the uh, the nearly runs? Uh, I'll I'll tell you now, Alan, Calvin, listener. Home Alone ran away with it. It got mm. twice as many votes as second place, which was a tie between Jingle All the Way and Die Hard Two. <laughs> we did Die Hard last year, of course. That's available at dimreturns.com. Can I just ask, are any of these films in your like regular repertoire at for this time of year? Because I never watch any of these, really. Um, well, I don't have a regular repertoire. I was going to say, I, I don't watch the same film every year. Like as part of some sort of ritual. I do. It's for Life and Black Christmas and Gremlins. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I did that with Die Hard for a number of years, but then I got to a point where I'd sort of seen it too many times to be able to enjoy it properly. Mm. And uh, good thing about Die Hard it. is you can watch it any time of the year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so so you can with Home Alone as well. That'd be crazy. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, so, uh, yes, thank you, patrons. And, of course, if you would like to become a patron of the show for just $1 a month, go to patreon.com forward slash dimreturns. Where you get all sorts of bonus content, and of course you can participate in these little votes and help. Us yes, out with the we show. are currently, currently uh, running a, a poll to decide the the fate of our our upcoming Valentine's Day 
So special. There's no more Fifty Shades of Grey films to look at. Exactly, we've, mm. we've done them all. And you know, sexy historically, that's it. That's it. We look at a bit of smut every year, and again, one film is running away with it. And I, I must say, I feel like the uh, the voters have sort of missed the point of the episodes. They're making us look at something good from the oh. look of things. Oh, what uh, is it? Boogie Nights is is winning. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, I see. Well, and I, I kind of thought the idea was we were meant to look at just like shitty sex movies. So, uh, <laughs> Why did you give them the option? To test them, and they failed. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to rectify things and, and make us watch uh, Debbie Does Dallas or, or uh, Porky's Showgirls, Nymphomaniac, just, men- <laughs> just some of the many choices. Uh, Legend of the Overfiend, Fritz the Cat, uh, head over there and and cast your vote. Right, uh, let's crack on with the film discussions. Uh, yeah, Home we've got Alone. five to get through. I don't think we've done a five yeah. film episode in a while. I'm, I'm hoping we won't have to do too much on the last four. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think the first two are probably the most notable. I, the, I, I've of been surprised. I mean, to be honest, until we decided we were doing this, I didn't even know there was a fifth one. Yeah, uh, I don't think many people are aware of the fifth one. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I'm not going to lie, the first two are very fresh in my mind. The third one I saw years and years ago, probably when I was about the same age as the protagonist character, mm. um, and I just watched a highlights reel of the fifth one because I didn't realise Malcolm <laughs> McDowell was in it, and I just was morbidly curious to know what he would be like. So I w- I've watched 15 minutes of the whole film <laughs> condensed. I didn't realise Malcolm McDowell was in it until I started watching the film and he oh god walked out and i was like oh my god and, <laughs> uh, a difficult moment for him yeah well I, I i felt very bad for him but uh yeah. well, let's let's come back to it let's come back to that yeah. so we're, we're, it's 1990 um i assume this film came out in december uh, i would guess november <laughs> oh cheeky they, they bring it earlier every year don't they december in the uk um yes yeah, so macaulay culkin is fresh off uncle book so he's established. Mm. Um, it's a it's a John Hughes script. John Hughes directed Uncle Buck. He recommended Macaulay Culkin. Apparently, you got Chris Columbus directing, who um, was already pretty established by that point. Oh no, I don't think he was mm. very established by that point, was he? Uh, no, I think this was the first like big thing that um, Chris Columbus had his name on. Like, what else is there? Heartbreak Hotel and Adventures in Babysitting are his previous two directorial. Mm. Um, efforts, uh, but he was a writer on Gremlins, The Goonies, and Young Sherlock Holmes, which all. Well, I was just reading something earlier that he was John Hughes had got him on working on uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, and he was direct- oh. he was going to direct that, but then had a <laughs> fell out with Chevy Chase. <laughs> Can you believe? Oh, really? Fall out with Chevy Chase? And I was so... say he's, he's the most <laughs> agreeable man working, isn't he? Uh... Are you ready? Take your mess.
well, he was supposed to have directed that. And then, so John Hughes kind of felt like he owed him one, I think. Um, ah, so yeah, I don't know why John Hughes was established as directing his own films by this point. I don't know why he didn't direct it particularly. I don't know if there was a specific reason for that. Well, well, John Hughes had like you know quote unquote good films that he made, and then like his <laughs> money press, which you know just, is made up of yeah, Home Alone, Beethoven, or <laughs> uh, all the sequelized yeah scripts for family films, Flubber. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) are you saying he didn't take home alone very seriously i think perhaps fair maybe it's just not as personal to him um it it does take place in illinois though just so you got that john hughes touch is there any point going over the plot i mean everyone knows home alone now don't they it's Mm. an eight-year-old kid he accidentally gets left at home alone over christmas and he has to defend the house he puts on some uh, aftershave and then he recreates the scream. Yeah. <laughs> and a couple of gang uh, criminals try to break into his home to burgle it and he sets up a load of booby traps. And I think that that is the iconic thing to come out of the film. It's the kid yes. sort of setting up all these elaborate Rube Goldberg-esque uh, traps and tricks and things and the criminals fall for them every time. That That is the entire drawer of the film surely that's, well that's, i was yeah. somewhat surprised when i rewatched this film the other day that that's basically about 15 minutes right at the end yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's actually a much smaller element than i thought but the film feels paced correctly and it it flows and everything i didn't mm. i didn't feel like i was like oh god i want to see joe pesci falling onto marbles <laughs> Well, I think that one of the, like, for, for the most part, the film concerns itself with just Macaulay Culkin, like, home alone, and he's just hanging out and doing things, and I I think it does uh, speak to that kind of wish fulfillment. I certainly oh, wished, like, when I was, like, eight, nine years old, like, oh my god, if I'm yeah. left at home alone, I can do what I want, I can... How, how long before you just be terrified, Calvin? <laughs> uh... Because Sol, in, in ten minutes, Sol would have the place barricaded against zombies. <laughs> you probably would have just wet yourself and then in excitement and then in fear as a second barrel. I remember when I was left home alone for like a week for the first time ever and I think I was 28 years old. Years old. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I made the mistake of going out with my friends on one night and because I was unused to, you know, making sure the house was locked up, I left the key to the house in the front door uh, and then went out for four hours and then came back and made a couple of my friends check out the entire house. (laughs) We looked in every wardrobe because I was sure that someone would have come in and be hiding in a cupboard waiting to kill me. First that would be the worst opening <laughs> kill in a slasher movie ever. Some prat leaves the key in the door. <laughs> the hill goes in and hides in a cupboard. <laughs> like just an opportunistic murderer is like, oh, is that the key's in the door? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to go next door to kill someone, but well. <laughs> I will say, I was pretty happy with how they handled all this. They go a long way to make it a reasonable that they've left the child behind, or to make it kind of realistic. Mm. You keep being quite positive about this, but my I, I have several memories of you slating this film and saying how much you hate it, Alan. Yeah. So, well, I rewatched you, it. Is this a Christmas miracle? It's <laughs> <laughs> I rewatched it a couple of days ago, um, and yes, it did definitely. I liked it a lot more than I remembered. 
I still not to give too much away. Yeah, I don't. It's not a film made for me. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, I, I kind of took it uh, with a lot of, sort of respect. I think uh, I didn't hate it yeah. in quite the same way. But yeah, I I, 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 I had the theory that you just watched Dogma and they slag it off in that, and you thought you had to copy whatever <laughs> Kevin Smith said, and I think maybe that's that's true. Yeah, that's why I smoke so much weed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so yes, uh, I I was they sort of bend over backwards to make it plausible that they could leave someone behind, and I think you need that. I think that is necessary. It also, but then because yeah. John Hughes is a good writer, not only does it play realistically, but you're also building up this idea of the family that he's going to miss. Well, that that he hates, at, not hates, but you know. He's sick yeah. of them, and then he misses them. It's... The, the, the worried mother, the sort of father who's... We'll come back to that. But yeah, that I, I, it's good writing, uh, really is. It's and, plausible and... without thinking what a terrible set of parents and just oh, hating yeah. the characters, which yeah. I think is an important thing to... Yeah. And it doesn't feel like all we're doing here is setting this up. And, you know, what yeah. it is, you mm. know, he manages to make it so that they lose the passport... In in a scene where it's Kevin getting told mm. off and all, you know, you know, making everything work together, and mm. and there's a lot of very um, very unrealistic character behavior. Frankly, the way you know everyone interacts with the parents when they're trying mm. to tell them what's happened is not remotely how real people are. But something yeah, about how yeah. it's handled, it just plays. It just gets away with it. The fact mm. that the police just <laughs> they send the policeman <laughs> over to go and check on this kid who's alone. And when the door isn't answered, he's like, tell him to count the kids again! It's like, well, obviously the kid's just not answering the door, for fuck's sake. Like, obviously. Or if the kid's not there, right, I want to report a missing child, please. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because they don't know where they've left him, do they? As far as they know, they could have lost him in the airport or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so, and we're setting up, shall we talk about Macaulay Culkin before we get into the... Into the film yeah. is obviously the, the beating heart of these films. Uh, yeah. And something of an icon of the time, don't you think? Like, yeah, definitely. I 90s yeah. kid actor, friend with Michael Jackson, so there was some notoriety with him there. Um, he just seemed to be living a sort of dream existence of a 10-year-old in the in the 90s. Um, I mean, I think Uncle Book was the one that started it. Went into Home Alone... And then, what else? Richie Rich? Didn't he do a film where he's a murderer? The Good Son. He does look kind of like a villain, a little creepy kid. Well, he does have that kind of sunken eye thing, doesn't he? Um, I'll just say, up for it, like, revisiting these films, I was surprised at how bad an actor he is. Yeah! (laughs) He was a lot better in my mind. I was skirting around that, but as a kid, I remember finding him quite... Uh, relatable and totally to watch, but yeah, rewatching these, he's a bit shit and stilted, and I don't think he brings much to it that another. I I feel like a another kid could have done a better job. Well, the thing mm-hmm. is, like, he's, right, fine, he's not. But... He, you said he's a bit shit there. He's not. He's terribly shit. He's really, really shit. Um, but every di- every line of dialogue is awful. Every it's all delivered like this. Yeah. He delivers everything like he's talking in some kind of commercial. His intonation always goes up at the end of every sentence. It's like a like a parrot trained to speak, you know? There's no meaning behind any of it. It doesn't know what it's saying. But that's essentially what he is. 
oh, no, do it like this, Macaulay, and then he'd do it like that or, mm. or whatever. I don't know. He does just strike me as someone who, oh, yeah, he could probably do an all right job in adverts or something. Um, yeah. But I think that there is something just really earnest and gee whiz about him, but still with a sort of almost adult um, well, I, self-awareness I, that I think yeah, that, works that, that's in this it. part. There is, there's definitely an, a sort of a prodigious nature to him. And it, he, mm. and that really works for the character. And mm. he's got he's got that kind of je ne sais quoi, you know, that kind of X factor that certain people have mm. and the camera just loves him. He's got that. It's just not mm. married with any acting ability, which is a shame. But yeah. he has that yeah. thing where that just it's innately you you want to watch him and uh, yeah so mm. uh, he 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 retired sort of when he was about fifteen. Well, yeah, it completely changed the direction of Home Alone three. <laughs> they were writing it for him as a teenager, and then oh. he quit acting, and they were like, oh, I didn't know that. Mm, yeah, but so he, yeah, he he, he kind of quit. I guess he he'd done what he needed to do. He wanted a normal life for a while, and he has come back to acting a little bit. But I actually watched something with him in. I found it on YouTube. This little sort of short film with him in, and uh, to be honest, I, I thought he was quite good. Like he was, you know, good, decent actor. You know, nothing certainly well, not a bad one. Isn't there a bit of a Culkin clan, like all his siblings? I'm sure his brothers oh, yeah, yeah. popped oh, up yeah. in Fargo. Rory Culkin. One of them's in Science. Or... Yeah, yeah. And Kieran Culkin is the younger one in this. Plays the cousin. Oh. So he's in that, and uh, yeah, and then he was in uh, he was in some films, wasn't he? Roger Dodger, when mm. I was saying. Yeah. Did you know his aunt is Bonnie Bedelia off of the Christmas film Die Hard? <laughs> Interesting. That's Macaulay Culkin dealt with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I just was. I don't think we've been very kind to him, but for this film, whatever it is, he's doing it works. I think we can agree. Like, I don't hate watching him. I I must say, I do think a different kid in this role could have made this a better film, but it's mm. fine. It works, yeah. and you know, similarly, a different kid could have made it a worse film, but. I think he, I think he does bring something to it. Yeah, there's definitely definitely brings something to it. Not acting ability, but you know something. The the mother and father who are best known for being the mother and father in Home Alone, <laughs> but really, oh, Catherine, O'Hara. Catherine O'Hara is best known for being Sally in The Nightmare Before Christmas, which uh, I think she's probably better known now as being the uh, lead, one of the leads on Shit's Creek. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's 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 this weird thing, Alan, where TV's really obsessed now with doing like. TV shows that let them pretend they're swearing, but they basically just get to go up and be like, like they'll do a show called The Mad Sea Unt or something, and then they'll just go up at the Emmys and be like, The Mad Cunt. Uh, Whoa! And they just say it. They're allowed to say it. They're allowed to say it. They're allowed to say it. It's a name. It's it's a name. name Someone's name is Charles Unt. That's their name. (laughs) Mad Cunt. Whoa, shit's Creek. It's Joe, shit. Joe C- it's, it's shit. S C H I T T. So that's okay. It's not swearing. Oh dear. Don't approve of this. The, the mother. BBFC motherfuckers. Video. You can't say that. No, her name's Fuckers. Her name's Fuckers. It's about motherfuckers. Meet the fuckers. Motherfuckers. Anyway, uh, she's had a long and prestigious career. She's also for Christopher Guest, doesn't she? She's all those films. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the dad, I. Who is the dad again? John Hurd. Yeah, he's the dad out of Home Alone. He's he's someone who I think gets cast because people think it's that they think they heard John Hurt on the phone. <laughs> <laughs>
Then he turns up to set and it's too late to do anything about it. Oh, a little Christmas movie connection here. He was uh, married to Margot Kidder from Black Christmas Christmas. in 1979 for six days and then they separated. (laughs) (laughs) He has got that kind of jovial dad look about him. It's quite good. Here's a thing I learned reading about this. The the uncle character, because they've got all the cousins there with the uncle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That uncle character was written for Kelsey Grammer. Really? Apparently. Yeah, According specifically, apparently. Yeah. Great, uh, knowledge. Oh, I did not know that. He obviously yeah. uh, turned it down. Yeah. It is a bit of a nothing part, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's weird, though, because... Don't you know, you know who I am? I bet... Fraser Craig. <laughs> I bet Kelsey Grammer was in, you know, serious talks that went a long way to, to play the Malcolm McDowell role in Home <laughs> Farm. So, <laughs> you know, he's not that... High-end an actor. Uh, yeah, there's a load of kids there that we don't need to worry about particularly. Did you know, this is my first note, the sort of thing that really struck me, like, isn't that a massive house? Isn't oh, that just... This family is so privileged. Massive house. <laughs> like, especially in the second one with their decadent holiday spending. It's, it has uh... to be, though. It has to be. Because there's, like, 20 kids living there. Mm. And... It also, you have to buy it that it's, you know, a, a prize jewel that these burglars would be drawn to. Yeah, burglars never break into small houses. This is nothing worth No, I know, but they, <laughs> they, they put more effort into this one house than would probably be worthwhile were it just an ordinary, you know? But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it just, it really did strike me like that is a big house. And I never quite grasped, do they all live together? Are the are the uncle, auntie, and cousins visiting? I think they're visiting based on a few lines in the second film, but yeah, it's not particularly clear. And they're visiting, and then they're all going off together to see the other brother in in uh, France, right? Something like that. Yeah. So, because there's a lot of talk about sharing beds and stuff like that, he has to share beds with the bedwetter, and it's like, how many bedrooms does this place have? Is <laughs> There's at least sort of 15 (laughs) windows just on the front of the house. (laughs) I think it's important to set up that they're a family of extreme privilege because then you don't feel bad when he starts spending thousands and thousands of pounds of his father's money in the the second film. (laughs) His dad gets very irate about it at the end, though. Yeah, but that's that's because you don't get rich by spending money. It's because he saw how much the uh, tip was and he was just furious. (laughs) Yeah, a a whole piece of gum. Yeah. <laughs> so um a large part of this is just um Kevin having fun at home doing things that he wouldn't be able to do if his family were there all that kind of stuff and it works because he has such a big family that you buy that this kid would like really get something out of having an entire house that size to himself. Yeah. There is a little subplot going on where he has this creepy old man neighbor mm-hmm. who he thinks is like what what what's the, there's there's like a an urban legend about him or something isn't there like he killed his family or something. Something yeah. like that. Some kids at the start making up yeah the older brother tells him something but the 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 reason why i i I, all that worked and i let it get away with so much is because the macaulay culkin kevin is eight years old he's gonna believe a story about this the next door neighbor murdered his family whereas a normal person Mm -hmm. would go well obviously that's not true is it but he's a child and all the other stuff that happens like when he doesn't just 
I don't blame him for believing it, based on the way that old man stares him out repeatedly. Every time he sees him, the old man just, like, stares him down. With this oh, this is just... Stare. He can't even look at a child anymore. That's uh, typical. No, he doesn't. He, he, and then he gets to church, and he's staring him out, and then he walks over, and then he very consciously sort of goes, oh, better smile, and then he smiles at the kid. No wonder he was fucking terrified. He, he keeps staring <laughs> at him, because he keeps thinking, is that kid on his own? I'm sure they've gone off on holiday. They all left. That kid's there on his own. I haven't seen the parents come back for two days. I should, no, maybe the first I should time he's outside his house. He's in he's in church and he has a big chat that where he tells creepy. the old man to uh, to call his son. And then the old man's like, "But I'm a scared. I can't. I'm scared." <laughs> and then and then the old man just says, "Right. Well, you better run along home now." For all he knows, he's there to look at, to watch the church service, and he's just telling this little kid to fuck off. He's like, "Right. You're dumb. Go home." Weird. It is. <laughs> I don't like any of the stuff with that old man. It, it just it feels like tacked on. Yeah, like they I, needed some extra element, and ultimately he comes in to save Kevin when the burglars get him at the very end. And she doesn't. I just quite don't like play, it. it. Yeah, yeah it, it's not like enough of a cool reveal or a happy ending. It's not like enough of a metaphoric parallel or anything like that that plays into the subtext of, ooh, get over your fears and family is important. That doesn't play. I, I just don't think it needs to be there. Just just give us one extra scene with Kevin going into the basement and not being scared of the heater, and that shows him learning to get over mm. his fears, you know? I'd rather uh, he beats the yeah. burglars of his own accord instead of being saved by a, what is, for all intents and purposes, a deus ex machina. It doesn't feel like it pays off particularly yeah but it is again it's it's good writing i think it's well handled in terms of what it is and it's a nice little scene between them sort of finding this common ground and and all that sort of thing and it's a nice little bit i'm not a problem with it no one should be lonely at christmas Uh, so Mm. i have a couple of questions about them leaving him behind so one one of the conceits we deal with to, to to help it make it more realistic is that they're rushing around because the alarm clocks don't go off and, and they go to this whole thing of like oh the power's been knocked out to mean we can't get the alarm clocks been turned off the guy turns up at eight o'clock like on the dot knocks on the door and that wakes them up so it's not like they've just woken up a bit later than expected they've slept in <clears throat> till eight o'clock in a house with 10 children. Mm. I think anyone with a child <laughs> would know. And on a day when you're going on holiday and you, you're you probably quite anxious and not sleeping well and because you're stressed about getting fucking 10 kids on onto a plane. Mm. So I don't buy that at all. Um, <laughs> that was one. Yeah, plus just... kids tend to wake up at like six in the morning. Yeah, these kids, some of these kids are like under 10, aren't they? It's watching like... cartoons and stuff. Yeah. Mm. So they ditch the kids in coach they're in first class i think because you know it's difficult to film with a load of kids in it it's easier just to film adults in a small plane set okay yeah what about that scene where the mother realizes that they've left kevin uh behind which happens on the plane she has a dream about something and she wakes up and then she's like oh something's wrong something's wrong something's wrong kevin but there's no reason why she should make that realization as far as she knows kevin is sat in the back in the cheap section, flying along nicely. Nah, and mother she, knows, she, Alan. She knew subconsciously, and she just yeah. pieced it together. Mothers have a sixth sense connection with their children. <laughs> Is that right? Do you want to ask yes, my mother yes. about that? <laughs> Alan, you you have a very 
unusual mother. Alan. I don't think you can use that yeah. as a gauge for no, any my, sort of family. My mum would definitely buy this as like a you know thing that you know. Oh yeah, mum, mothers know. They just know when their kids are in danger or not there. I mean, I'm not even talking about that. I bet you know, in in a kind of Darren Brown brains doing things you don't know about kind of way. I I think she probably just realised he wasn't there, but like didn't want to tell herself because then she wouldn't get to go on holiday and uh, <laughs> it was only later on when the guilt kind of got to her and she digested it a bit that she was like oh yeah I better had go pretend mm. I care she obviously doesn't care about a kid you don't have like 15 kids if you care about them <laughs> she's got five kids it's too many <laughs> you can't you can't kids, but... you can't give any one of those kids a proper upbringing if you've got that many other kids to look after <laughs> <laughs> Three, I think, is about the maximum you can get away with. Space them out. <laughs> Interesting theory. Um, I, I do appreciate the contrivance that they're on a flight to Paris. Like, I obviously, that's going to be, what, like a eight, nine, ten hour flight from Chicago, probably. Well, they're probably um, in Concord, it, though, in their family riches. <laughs> <laughs> I just say, I, I buy it like, all right, yeah, this makes sense with the period of time that he's home alone and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Like, there is really no turning back for the family. Can you get a direct flight from Chicago to Paris? Wouldn't they have had to stop in, like, New York or something? Oh. Well, she struggles to get one back, doesn't she, for that very reason, so... Yeah, because yeah. they, they do get to Paris, don't they? I, I think, yeah, no, if you can fly from London to, like, L.A. without making a stop, I'm sure you could go from Chicago to Paris. Yeah, but, like, Chicago is it's not, as, it's not as big an airport, is it? It's not quite the same. Well, maybe they do. Maybe they make a stop at Washington or somewhere to transfer and then they realize on the flight from there mm. and the airplanes all just look the same inside maybe the, they had to transfer in a rush because they were late yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah anyway my point is that i buy this much more than the uh domestic flight from uh wherever they are to new york florida to in florida. the second one yeah mm-hmm. we're gonna get about half an hour in when we finally see our villains of the piece Mm. Well, no, that no, no, no. Joe Pesci's in like the opening scene. Uh, yeah, yes, he is, isn't he? But we don't, we don't know really that he's the villain. Then it's he's yeah. posing as a police officer because he's scoping out yeah. the houses. In the great area. intro to that character, mm. I think. I mean, I'll, I'll just say, I think this is a tour de force performance from Joe Pesci. I think he's absolutely wonderful in this film. Mm-hmm. I think. It, it says a lot about him, that he was willing to clearly go for it to the level that he does. And, and you know, an actor of his stature, he's a, he's a very, very good, proper actor. Uh, and it's nice to see a, a different side of him here. Uh, was this before My Cousin Vinny? Had it he is. done comedy before? That's kind of what he, I'm getting he, at. Lethal Weapon 2 was before this, where he played Leo Getz. Oh, yeah. So that was comedy. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I do agree, he... Totally goes like he's totally in it, isn't he? Like for someone who is quite a respected and serious actor, albeit a bit of a mad bastard. Uh, bastard <laughs> isn't swearing in America, is it? We get away with that. Uh, <laughs> um, he he, yeah, he plays it with full gusto. And honestly, I I think this is one of the best performances of his career. I mean, not the best. He's obviously done better proper acting, but <laughs> if I was doing like a top five Joe Pesci performances, I think this would be in there. <laughs> it's great. He goes. He, he's full on Bruce <laughs> Campbell, Evil Dead too, like gurning and screaming and falling over. 
And Although he... I did notice when when the tarantula's on him, I did like that whenever there was a shot with his face and the spider in the same shot, it was very clearly a rubber spider. But then <laughs> they'd like cut to a real tarantula on a, a close-up of some fabric. And then... <laughs> um, ably assisted by his sidekick, Daniel Stern, um, mm. who was in a big moment at this point. He, did this, he followed this up with City Slickers, which is probably his most remembered thing. And, yeah, he was a good, solid... Comedy actor, yeah, yeah, he's fine. <laughs> yeah. Saying he's no Joe Pesci, <laughs> he looks he looks good with a an iron print on his face. <laughs> and have they deliberately gone with a sort of little and large theme here? Did they get? Oh, one hundred percent. Of course they have. It's the Laurel and Hardy thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one's absolutely. small and thinks he's smart, and the other one's just an idiot. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, very very. Um, yeah, the clown who. Thinks he knows everything, and the one who knows, mm. he knows nothing. But yeah, they they work really well. I think they've got good chemistry together, and mm. yeah. yeah, you know, the last twenty minutes of the film is really just them sort of like slipping oh. on the floor, and then a lot of like gurning at the camera and making faces and mumbling. Yeah. They do it really well. It could be, I think, in later films in the franchise, we'll see actors just really sort of look like they're going through the motions with it. But yeah. here, I think they, they do it really well. Like you say, Sol, I think they really, Pesci particularly, really commits to it, and he does yeah. his best. Yeah, yeah. And even, you know, just just making a fool of himself, just sliding around on the ice. You know, it's full-on mm. bit of physical comedy that they're asking Joe Pesci to <laughs> to mm. do there, that kind of, oh, I can't stand up! Like, it, and, and he's, you know, he's re- obviously there's a point where it cuts to a stunt double who does a backflip, but it's still, you know, commendable yeah. work, I think. And I, mm. I think what Joe Pesci does bring to it, and this is why you want Joe Pesci, is genuine menace. You mm. believe him, he's not a cartoon villain. You're just like, yeah, this, this guy had his way, ripped Macaulay Culkin's face off. I think it's mm. it's an incredibly uh, well-balanced mixture of genuine menace and warmth. You know, he, he feels at home within a, a John Hughes Christmas film, mm. but you do buy that he'd bite his fingers off, like he says at the end, <laughs> if that man didn't hit him over the head with a shovel. So that's pretty much it for the cast, apart from a weird uh, cameo by John Candy Mm. that I couldn't tell if it was intentionally a a reference to planes, trains, and automobiles or not. (laughs) Or just just John Hughes reusing the script leftovers. I feel like this film would be a lot better if... uh, if Macaulay Culkin's dad was played by Steve Martin and the subplot was about him having to hitch a ride with John Candy across across the country. I, I'm going to pitch right now, actually. My pitch for a sequel is someone edit Home Alone and Planes, Trains and Automobiles together into one movie with a bit of like or, uh, After Effects to put Steve Martin over the top of the dad in some scenes. And I think you can make that work. I don't like planes, trains, and automobiles. I'll just say that. Can we talk about the film within the film? Uh, yes. The film being Angels with Filthy Any- anyway, Souls, I mind. believe it's called. Mm-hmm. Sort of pastiche yeah. of gangster films. <laughs> which has become a little classic in itself. There's some really good lines in there. Like, Keep the change, oh, you every- filthy Oh, everyone knows. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's the best line in the film. Great. I, the way they use it, although, you know, it's very much film reality. No, no one would really think they were really listening to... Yeah, and you wouldn't be that that precise with the fast forward rewind on your <laughs> yes. VHS player either. But <laughs> but I think it was probably still fairly new technology back then, and people weren't familiar with how shit they were. <laughs> yeah, 
how it plays, it, it works quite nicely. It, it gives the film some real character as well, just having those little, that little yeah. thing in there. He's watching it earlier on and then he's like, and then it comes back later. But the, the, I mean, the major problem with that, exactly. But the major problem with that is the idea that an eight year old child would be watching an old gangster film as like his rebellious act. Yeah, but that's, that, <laughs> that plays because, no, I think that's fine. Because it's obviously part of being home alone. That's obviously the video he's not allowed to watch. And, and I, I can totally buy this idea that like oh maybe his dad's always watching that and loves it and he wants to <laughs> but he's not allowed to because it's inappropriate i think that's fine yeah i think it's great as a little bit with the pizza boy i think maybe it goes one step too far when they then repeat the exact same gag with marv mm. and then obviously it's two steps too far in the next film when <laughs> tim curry does the exact same thing yeah <laughs> I, I think the first two-thirds of this film, three-quarters of this film, a fairly um, four-fifths of this film <laughs> are, uh, are fine. They're pretty standard John Hughes fare. They're fine. But I do think it's that final 15 minutes where it really comes to life, and you know that, that is what people remember for a reason. That's, mm, yeah. that's why we're all here. It's to see a house, a kid defending their house with Make, uh, Rube Goldberg booby traps against Joe Pesci and <laughs> yeah. uh, a lanky man getting their faces smashed in by tins of paint. And some of the violence is really, they don't hold back on it. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you feel it. Like, when he, put, when he puts his foot through that nail, oh, oh my god, it's, yeah. that is the one that gets you. This like, is oh. this is my major problem with it. And, and when you said Saul earlier, I, I would, I've sort of hated this film in the past. I think that it goes too far with the violence because it's like it's one thing to do like the whole like oh he gets sprayed with glue and then feathers get chucked on him. It's quite another to yeah. smash him in the face with an iron and then set them on fire. <laughs> it's it like feels like you crossed a line. Like even it, because I it's like funny it. I think about it. I wish it was more violent. I I wish there was like blood and guts and <laughs> oh it's a live action cartoon. It's fine. I don't think it's. A, Sets a good example to kids because it says, you know, if you if you jokingly smash a paint tin into your dad's face, it'll just bounce off and it'll go, and then it'll be a right laugh. No, no. If burglars are trying to kill you and invade your home, then feel free to smash them in the face with a tin of paint. That's the message there. Mm-hmm. But then, they, mm-hmm. but it also suggests that it'll get get back up and keep coming at you, and then you'll have that <laughs> on your conscience. <laughs> Well, that's just saying, you know, make sure you got some more traps prepared. Um, <laughs> I I like the cartoonish violence. I, I love the last 15 minutes of this film. I, I think it just mm. comes to life. It's wonderful. And I do think it goes into full-on cartoon violence mode. I, I think perhaps, if anything, the film would have benefited from one or two moments that are at that level earlier on, mm-hmm. just so it doesn't feel quite as disconnected. Yeah. Um, but it, I think it plays fine. I I think I think if you're too stupid to be able to differentiate this film from reality, then you're probably too stupid to rig up a, an elaborate <laughs> trap that's going <laughs> to injure someone. I watched loads of cartoon violence as a kid, and I'm, I'm a pacifist. <laughs> so uh... <laughs> it's such an infl- it's, it's such fine. a painful memories. I will never. Live in this world of violence. I remember me and my friends tried putting a bucket on like a top of a door so that like when 
a parent would um, like move the door to try and get in the room, it would hilariously fall on their head. But it <laughs> never quite worked out. It's a metal bucket. We, we did that to head. Johnny's room at uni, didn't we? We <laughs> did put a load we? of cups of water in his room, so when he'd open the door, they'd go all over the floor. <laughs> yeah, what I do like about the the film is that the traps, the booby traps and all things like that, it, it all feels totally within the grasp of a, of a child's kind of mind. Mm. Uh, not, yeah. just to, yeah. not just to kind of come up with the ideas, but also to practically put them into action. Like, I think they, they do make that effort to make it at least a, that yeah. sense of realism to it. You know, it, it wouldn't be interesting, for whatever reason, it wouldn't be interesting to watch if Joe Pesci walked through the door and then Macaulay Culkin threw some glue on him and threw a load of feathers in his face and ran off. Or stabbed him in the it chest. It would play the same way. But because because what actually happens is he walks through the room and there's a bit of cling film there with the glue on it that goes in his face and then he cr- pulls a bit of string out of the way that releases a pencil from a fan and the fan blows the feathers in his face. Somehow that's like really entertaining and <laughs> funny and just charming. Yeah. And I don't know what the difference is, but it, it is significant. Timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. If he just walked in the house and Macaulay Culkin shot him with an air rifle... Uh, which I guess essentially isn't far removed, but if he just walked into the house and he shot him, it wouldn't be f- a fun film. But if he walked into the house and trips a tripwire that, you know, lights a candle that that burns a piece of string that removes a weight that pulls the trigger on the gun, suddenly it's a great film. <laughs> I have a question about the ending, because he he calls the police... And which is something he should have done a long time ago, uh, and says something like, uh, "But then he reports there's burglars at his neighbor's house, the house across the street, and then because they're going over there or something, or they've already been there, but then he gets they catch him, and then the old man turns up. But it's not the old man's house, is it? I I, I didn't quite grasp what happened with all that. Well, he's eight, isn't he? So he's an idiot. <laughs> but I mean, I didn't grasp it within the film either. Like, I didn't, wasn't quite sure what happened. And also, I think he's trying to lure them over the road, so perhaps so that the police won't realize he's home alone. I don't. Know that's, that's well. That's what idea. happens because at the end of the film, they, the you know, he's they get arrested and he's not involved, and the old man is apparently complicit in that. He's like, oh yeah, we'll not mention anything about this. Like, surely the old man should go. By the way, this kid's just home alone. You might want to look into that. <laughs> yeah, really, it, it definitely just slipped at the end. There, the end, the ending definitely gets just that little bit sloppy there. Where I'm not quite sure what happens, but it's all it's all designed from a writing point of view. It's designed so that we can get the mum comes back, <clears throat> reunited with the kid, not arrested for leaving him alone. Exactly, and exactly. no no kind of no uh, repercussions. repercussions yeah and because they even go to the trouble of them having broken into the neighbor's house before so that when the police turn up there it's like oh look the wet bandits yeah we know who you are it's mm. it, it's a it just felt a bit contrived well i guess they needed to get away with not having kevin exposed as a child alone or something yeah i mean it's not a perfect film alan i'll be honest there's there's flaws in oh, it really? only that 15 minutes before the very end uh, are the perfect film. So <laughs> uh, let's rate it. Uh, I'll go first. I I think it's like I said. This is not a film that I return to very often. Uh, 
it, I, I think it works. It's very competent. It's fine. And I think it probably means more to a lot more people than it does to me if you grew up watching this every year and have that attachment to it. I think it works just fine. And I think there are worse films that you could pick to watch as a family getting in a Christmassy mood. So it's a 7 out of 10 from me. Hmm. I, I really loved this film when I was a kid. I think it does really play to children, which is obviously the intention. I I, I think that ending 15 minutes, as I keep saying, is wonderful. I think everything leading up to it is fine. So yeah, similar. I, I think it's a solid family Christmas film. Mm. It's a bit cheesy in places. It doesn't all quite work, but it's good. It's good fun. 7 out of 10 as well for me. Mm. Yeah, I'm just going to echo that pretty much. I, I, I think it's really well written for the most part, and I think that's a big advantage to it. I do think Macaulay Culkin brings something to it that really brings it alive, uh, albeit not his acting. Uh, yeah, it's fairly solid 7 out of 10. Hmm. Wow. Two years later. Two years, yeah, is all it took for Home Alone 2 Lost in New York. It, it just, I don't know, it feels like an odd choice for Home Alone 2, to set it in New York rather than, you know, contrive a way to have him home alone in the house again, or... Well, when a big part of the the, the appeals of it are, like, kid defending home from a bunch of criminals with traps and things, and yeah. just, like, kid home alone, that is part of the wishful fulfillment exactly. thing. Exactly. And then when you don't do that... Yeah. Well, I think, <clears throat> obviously, they felt like they had to do something different, like, to make it into something slightly... Wider. Well, you say that, but then they just do the same stuff again. <laughs> <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't change the script, just the location. <laughs> yeah. Like, all that stuff you were saying, Alan, about how they actually... All, all the contrivances that it takes to get him home alone in the first film, you buy it and it works and it's fine. Here, just everything that happens is just like, oh, for God, you're up against the whole, like, oh, well, could this really possibly ever happen again? And obviously yeah. it needs to happen, otherwise there won't be a film, but... They just do a lot of the very same things. The alarm doesn't go off. They all just rush onto the oh, plane. I hate that him. moment. We slept in again! Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Super sped up footage and all that <laughs> shit. Fuck off. Yeah. You just can't do it twice in a row. You've got to make it different in some way. Um, I guess he does end up getting on the wrong plane. Yeah, I don't mind the plane element, to be honest. I don't. I think it's handled very well, The the him getting on a different plane thing. It's everything leading up to that and, and yeah. around that that I don't like. I was surprised, yeah. yeah. Like, again, they go to a great effort to make it work. Like, he doesn't just run up and go, oh, that's my dad, I'm supposed to be on this plane. Go, oh, go on then, which is what I was expecting. They have, like, oh, we dropped your boarding card. It's in here somewhere. Like, do you know what I mean? It feels like, mm -hmm. oh, make sure he gets on and, and gets with his family before you leave him. I also yeah. like that they repeatedly reference the fact that he got left home alone last year and he's pissed off about it. Because <laughs> you don't get any of that in the first yeah. film because he doesn't really understand. But I, I like that this film is dealing with a, a, a begrudged uh, Kevin McAllister. <laughs> There's an element of him trying to get revenge on his family for, for not being good, <laughs> good family to him, and um, they are. If, if if they had like ignorance on their side in the first film, haplessness, ignorance, whatever. It, this film, they're terrible. 
terrible parents. We have that they're terrible family. We have that whole thing at the start where he's at the um, he's doing the Christmas Carol concert or whatever, and his older brother starts to make fun yeah, of him, humiliating, writing up his ears from behind, yeah. which is apparently hilarious to all of the parents in that auditorium. <laughs> yeah. who are terrible parents. <laughs> if they're uproariously <laughs> laughing at that, hey, he's not uh, their kid. and then kevin reacts kind of you know obviously he overreacts and pushes him over but he's just being publicly humiliated and then his parents take him to task for it later on and have this sort of weird intervention trial thing at home like he's some sort of terror his his reaction is extremely appropriate um yeah if anything quite calm because he just shoves him it's not like oh i'm gonna push you off this ledge he just gives him a little shove and you know yeah things happen yeah People, people really love Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. I, I think it's got a real nostalgia, almost more so than the first film on its side. For whatever reason, mm. I think this one gets played on TV more. I, mm. I genuinely, I don't know if I'd ever seen this film before I watched it for this podcast. I think I may have just seen fifteen-minute chunks of it in like mm. so many different instances that I basically saw the whole film, but completely out of order. No, I, I think you're right. This is the one that I'd seen this one much more than the first one, and I think a part of that is that I always feel like this one is always the one on t- on TV in the build-up mm. to Christmas, and I don't know yeah. if that's just sort of like lazy channel schedulers sort of being like, ah, Home Alone 2, that must be twice as good as the <laughs> other one. So we'll twice as cheap. Instead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, for some reason, this is always the one that's on TV when I just sort of flicking through channels and yeah. Home Alone pops up every December. It, it's to the point that I, re-watching the first one, which I did just before uh, we started recording, I... I um, I didn't remember how much of the second film was just rehashing the first film. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, so much of it. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And yeah. it's because you have Kevin in the hotel when he gets to New York, he uses his dad's credit card and rents a room, and Tim Curry's the snooty hotel yeah. manager. <laughs> and I, I guess um, there's an element of wish fulfillment child fantasy about that, but it just doesn't play the same way. It's It's you know, ooh. They run um, through it very quickly as well. Like, all yeah. of that hotel stuff is actually a much smaller part of the film than I remembered it being. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, he, he gets room service and, like, he raids the minibar, and that's sort of it. And uh, Tim Curry is painted as a, an evil villain for just trying to do his job and, you know, <laughs> deal with a stolen credit card and look out for the welfare of a child. He does take yeah. an instant dislike to him, though. He's <laughs> very... Uh... Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I did. Macaulay Culkin, yeah. <laughs> mm. I did I did like the uh the shot of the Grinch doing his little grimace the <laughs> kind of grimace slash smile that, that, that faded into Tim Curry yeah. doing a similar uh, smile. Which was also a, a callback to the Grinch being shown in the first film. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Tim Curry, I mean so the the cast in this film, if ever there's a saving grace, um <laughs> you've got Joe Pesci and and Marv Daniel Stern back from the first film again bending over backwards to contrive a reason why they would be in New York at the same time as well. I don't think they even bother, do they? They they have to say that well, yeah, they escaped to get out of prison, and then it's just pretty much like oh, walking down the street. Oh, look, it's that kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, doesn't work. I mean, you kind of just go with it because it's nice to have them back, and I think it's a trade off that you're willing you're willing to go with how little it makes sense. 
I don't think it would be difficult, would it, to to, to contrive a reason? Just they escape from prison and they're like, oh, let's go get that kid who put us in prison and kick his face in. Well, yeah, but then how are they going to know he's in New York where he's not meant to be? Uh, It's probably on the news. (laughs) A missing child. (laughs) (laughs) Lost in New York. I think most of the stuff with them works insofar as it's very entertaining, even if it is largely nonsense. You've got the family back from the first one, they're fine. You've got Tim Curry, who's a very, very welcome addition to the cast. Mm. Uh, You've got Rob Schneider, who isn't. (laughs) (laughs) This is good Rob Uh, Schneider, though, when he's like used to an appropriate amount. He's on a leash, yeah. (laughs) You've got a Hollywood elite member of the Actors Guild, Donald Trump, here, in uh, one of his many (laughs) acting performances where he will uh, claim residual uh, checks to this day for for acting as part of the Hollywood mm. great actor, elite. greatest actor That's, <laughs> it's so weird isn't it seeing him in this like it's, it's so weird Do you know what i was now. i was just thinking like oh let's not even mention the trump thing it's such a cliche thing but i watched that scene and it's like he gives him a proper he gives him a proper like double take oh look at that ass kind of as she walks away kind of like. <laughs> was really weird. He, he properly gives him the old double take. He's not a good actor, is he? And it's like he it's like he was so pleased to have remembered his line that take. <laughs> that he's kind of like going, yeah, yeah, you did it, Trump. You did it. It's like but he really lingers in the background. It's very weird. I mean, I don't think I had any concept of who Donald Trump was when I first not. saw him in this film. And I think I did think what was that about? <laughs> like, who's that? Is it Donald Trump's building that they were filming? Was that the? Re- is that the? Was it in the contract or something that he had to have a part? I think he is just a, a presence synonymous with New York, really, and yeah, that kind of it's American business, New York rich elite. Um, it's basically part set. of the montage, isn't it? It's basically he goes yeah. to the top of the Twin Towers. He probably has a hot dog. He. <laughs> He looks at oh some god, pigeons. Oh god, and that too. The twi- seeing the Twin Towers and him on top of it was like, a, yeah. oof, god, wow. Different yeah. time. Yeah, and uh, and then Donald Trump shows up. Tim Curry's good in this, isn't he? he, he oh, he's, 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 he's like giving the best it his thing all. in it. Yeah. yeah, even when they they redo the whole thing with him playing the I film. I think you're mistaken, sir. <laughs> <laughs> they, they redo the whole thing with him playing the video and characters reacting to it because they think it's a real person and stuff. And he's You were yeah. smooching. <laughs> it's like that, that, how like weird that scene is where it's just a man gunning down a woman in cold blood and, and how contrived that is compared to when they do the same joke in the first film and Tim Curry just makes it work regardless. What I love about that is that it's really contrived dialogue to make it work and then it doesn't work at all because he's saying like you were, you were <laughs> yeah. smooching with my brother. It's like what? <laughs> <Doesn't mean that. laughs> yeah. I haven't told you. Well, that's it. I, I assumed it, it. You feel like it should be, you know, you were smooching with, and then you go straight to Chip or whatever the other guy's name is or something. And then they're like, what? I like, but I like that he goes, get on your knees and tell me you'll love me. And like every time they say that line, like, there's always a look, like, as if, like, mm, it's a bit much in it for a kid's film. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit, bit yeah. just a bit too far. Yeah. yeah, he's brilliant, and he's not in it enough because, like, like I said, all this hotel stuff is really just a very small part of the film, and most of the time it is just 
Kevin wandering around the streets yeah, and oh, that yeah. fucking pigeon woman. Oh, I <laughs> hate the pigeon woman. I oh, cannot stand the pigeon woman. They just feel like they need to have another like old, old person. Yeah. But she's not even that old. Yeah. But they've already got the toy shop owner. It's like, how yes. many fucking eccentric New Yorker characters does Kevin McAllister have to meet on his little adventure? Like, is Tim that, Curry not enough? Are the burglars being there not enough? We have to have a toy mm. shop owner. Fine, alright. So that sets up why it's bad and he can't just let the burglars steal the money and the insurance mm. sort it out. Fine. But then they have this pigeon woman who you adds nothing. Mm. She's just mm. there. She goes, oh, you, oh, go, oh, I'm good at using up a bit of runtime. I don't know. I listen to Motley Crue up here. I listen to Pearl Jam. I listen to all the great music. And yeah. oh, it, the film stops dead whenever she appears. I hate but it. But it is the same as the old man in the first film in that it doesn't really add anything. Um, yeah, I didn't really like the old man in the first film either. Exactly, but like I say, in really that film, it just about gets away man. with it. Well, this one, it's so much yeah. more contrived to, to have her yeah. involved and then the mm. pigeons rescue him at the end or whatever it is. Yeah, again, he doesn't save the day again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah. It's really annoying. Um, um, and, and I don't think this actress is old enough or <laughs> warm-looking enough, haggard-looking enough. <laughs> yeah, they should have just... got, like, Betty Davis was still alive <laughs> at this point. They should have got her. She'd have been brilliant. Post-stroke Betty she was, Davis. Uh, she was fresh fresh off the uh, Oscar win, though. Brenda Fricker won the Oscar, like, the year before. If it was for... Oh shit, Betty Davis wasn't alive. Sorry, <laughs> now they couldn't have used her. Never mind. Uh, Brenda, Fr- who this actress won an Oscar. Yeah, she I've was never the, seen her in anything else. She's the mum in My Left Foot. Um, you know, Daniel Day Lewis. I've never heard of that film. Daniel Day Lewis. He can only use the one foot. He writes novels. You must have heard of My Left Foot. He won an Oscar for nope. it. It's like the go-to quote-unquote serious acting player. Movie. Player disabled and get an Oscar. Oh, that, Irishman yeah. born with cerebral palsy. Yeah. Okay. I have to say, it, it, it was very jarring how John Williams just couldn't help himself from flirting with the uh, see the birds tuppence a bag <laughs> melody whenever she was on the screen. Yeah. I Talking about the music, was, um, actually, we, we haven't touched yeah, on the score for these We films, completely but... went, yeah, missed John Williams on the first one, but he scores yeah. both of these films, which is like, insane. I think... I think the music's probably most notable for being what Danny Elfman blatantly based his entire career on for the next 25 huh. years. <laughs> it is, it is so, there is so much Nightmare Before Christmas score mm. in the first Home Alone film. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I say this as someone who loves Danny Elfman, and I think the music for a night, The Nightmare Before Christmas is, is wonderful, and I think he refined what was there, but it's... Very similar. Mm. I mean, it works. I, I think it's all good. I, I don't really have much to say about it now, to be honest. Uh, yeah. It's it's just good John Williams score. It's, it didn't stand out to me as especially John Williams-esque, but yeah, it's, uh, I agree, it's yeah. fine. Well, I see. Um, it's, it's that Danny Elfman-esque. Yeah. <laughs> but before he yeah. was an established film composer, really. Um, so, just what we're talking about the old people in this. We, you mentioned the um, the toy shop owner. I thought he was going to be dead. I thought he was going to be a ghost for the longest <laughs> time because when Macaulay Culkin first talks to him, he's buying something from him at the shop, and he gives him these doves, and then he's like, "Oh, but old Mister Duncan," and he turns around and he's gone. And then I, I, I was like, I would have put money on later on in the film. He'd have been talking to like. 
someone else who oh, Mr. Duncan he and, died and, ten years ago this very day <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Duncan yeah. he passed away not 50 years ago oh, or something how like good that. would that have been if they did that and then they did the same thing with the pigeon woman <laughs> and then they did the same thing with the staff at the hotel and slowly but surely the <laughs> Kevin McAllister realised everyone was dead yeah alright so the, the thing that annoys me most about this film is that you have uh kevin in the hotel you have him in this fantastic massive toy shop and yet the whole climax of the oh we're gonna set up all the booby traps and trick the the burglars takes place at an abandoned um well not abandoned but a home in the middle of renovation which struck me as something so like just tonally off with like yeah do that thing in the hotel do that in the toy shop where you yeah got so toy shop makes so with. much sense doesn't it it really it does. does and that's where i thought it was going because they were saying like oh we're gonna stake out here in the yeah. toy, you know in the little houses Absolutely. and all that and kevin's gonna come in and use all the toys and christmas you know set everything up but instead he lures them around the corner to a yeah his uncle's home or whatever it is which we have no attachment to it's it, like living out a child's fantasies you know being home alone getting left mm. in the toy shop or Maybe exactly. he gets accidentally locked exactly. in, or he does it deliberate to catch them, or whatever. But yeah, that's your classic, isn't it? Like, what, it just makes so much sense. Why even? F- yeah. Why flirt with it? And I wonder if they could just couldn't afford the location or something. <laughs> like, let's yeah. use a stripped back building with nothing but floorboards and walls. That'd be good, wouldn't it? It's it's annoying <laughs> as well because the the booby traps would, by their very nature, all be very different. They're, yeah. The, the booby mm. traps he goes with are basically just more of the same. You know, this sets you on fire, this is a bit sticky, this you slip mm. on it, this smacks you in the face. Whereas, you know, mm. he's, he's got all sorts of toys he could play with in there. Remote control a- aeroplanes and, and mm. little robots that could go after him. So and much stuff, I guess yeah. they already did toy cars in the first one. Bouncy balls and... Yeah, it'd be great. Mm. Pogo sticks yeah. that are rigged to shoot at them and... Yeah, mm. it, it it was when I was watching it, I I was sat thinking, how on earth are they gonna contrive a way for him to spend the night in this toy shop without being caught? Mm. And then it was this slow, sorry realization of, oh, they're not. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's annoying because just... it would have been it would have worked so easily if he went and you know hid out similarly to how they were doing overnight, mm. knowing that they were gonna come and break in and. You know, maybe the old man who runs the shop sees he's in there, but knows he can trust him or takes pity <laughs> on him or whatever because he's, he's a, you know he knows he's a good boy deep down. Some bullshit like that. It it wouldn't mm. have been difficult. It's just stupid. Yeah, really yeah. weird. Yeah, and then like exactly. either that or the hotel. You've set up two locations. Exactly. Use one of them. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, because again, the hotel, like all the traps, you know, the things he could use to, I mean, you know, I, I don't Long know, issue. like the baggage wheelie things, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. He could dress up as a hotel porter and do some Bugs Bunny-esque <laughs> sort of uh, <laughs> trickery with that. I don't know, but yeah, big, it just must feels be a massive like you say, like the hotel, so... you know, the stuff yeah. there. <laughs> Trap their tie in the, in the trouser press, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> There's just opportunity for variety and so much more. It's just, yeah, it's really irritating that we have these two mm. locations set mm. up, which would be so much better than just yeah. derelict home where he's going to yeah. do the same shit. Even to the point where, like, they're going up the stairs and they know that the paint buckets are coming and they're, like, yeah. doing this. They're like, oh, well, one, 
two, three, and then they like go up, and then obviously he's got yeah, yeah. another one ready for them. It's just yeah, yeah. Irritating. I must admit though, I I think when they again like the first film when they get into the the defending your home the siege se- sequence i do find it very entertaining and very enjoyable even though it is just rehashing the same old shit it feels like a missed mm. opportunity but i think it works in a way that most of this film doesn't <laughs> mm. yeah. i don't know it, it didn't really work for me i think because it was so much of a rehash yeah um well one yeah. one rehash that really didn't work for me was the emotional stakes, because in that first film, yeah. he's a little kid who thinks he's wished away his family and they've disappeared out of existence. Mm. And and then he regrets that and he wants them back. In this film, he knows exactly where they are. He knows how he lost them. He's just waiting it out and having a good time in the meantime. For some reason, he doesn't contact the police and say, hello, I've, I've been left, <laughs> whatever. Because he's because <laughs> he's pissed off with his parents and he's having his own little yeah, adventure yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll buy as that. a kind of fuck you. And I buy, that's it, I do buy that. I think that works quite nicely, that he's, he's being spiteful. You do still have this moment where he's like looking into the cityscape and going, oh, mummy, I miss you so much, and he's thinking about her. And well, that's his character and arc, isn't it? That yeah, he, but, uh, he comes but, to realise the same thing as last time, that he actually does love his family. But he's not hes not missing them. He, he knows where they are. He's not worried about them this time. It's, it's, it just didn't work on the same level, and they were just trying to rehash the same thing, and it didn't work. So, yeah. Mm. Also, these kind of toy stores only exist in films where there's no sort of like, you know, plastic robot look, you know, there's no Transformers, no Barbies, no nothing like that. It's all really quaint, like rocking yeah, horses. Yeah, carved teddy fucking bears. turtle dove. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started on those. T- when he gives that turtle dove to that pigeon lady at the end, it's like, and she seems happy about it. It like irritates me so much. Oh, great. You can hang it on the tree that you won't be having next year because you'll She's be- got hundreds of trees. <laughs> Oh shit! Yeah, actually, she does. <laughs> that was that was it. So that the whole thing about that is like he's like, oh, I'll never forget you. You're like a really important person to me that I don't know anything about. And I just want my pitch. My picture of sequel is like thirty years later, where this seventy year old woman turns up on his doorstep and he's like, "Remember and me?" And he has to rig the house to <laughs> to keep her out because she's trying to get him. <laughs> Oh dear, it's supposed to be a beautiful moment, I suppose. Uh, what I hated about that at the end um, was that they're having like their Christmas morning and he sort of suddenly has this like, oh, I need to go and, you know, tell that woman that someone's thinking about her as, as she's dying alone on the freezing cold streets of New York. And he goes off and, and speaks to her. Left the hotel. Nobody noticed. They fucking lost him again within... What do you expect? 12 hours of, they should not be allowed yeah, to keep those children. They should be taken away and put that's into care. Well, that is well within believable confides of this franchise. That, that goes along with everything we've seen up until that point. They, <laughs> they're, they're bad parents. It's they terrible. can't keep an eye on their kids. Yeah. I at least thought that he was going to invite her to the hotel for like, presumably they'll have a Christmas <laughs> yeah. dinner. They've just had these this whole like literal truckload of presents delivered by Mr. Duncan. And they're all really excited about them, even though presumably they're going to open them up and they're going to be very impersonal, just generic <laughs> toys and whatnot. Um, but they're all very excited about them. They're just, and they're not labeled either. They are just literally yeah. going in and picking out crap. Anyway. Well, it's it's probably Lego. Everyone's happy with Lego. It's fine. <laughs> I haven't got Lego. It's two I just thought, like, oh, wooden blocks, wooden building blocks. 
It was just a, a step too much for me to have this incredible decadence that this family a... can afford and receive. But I like, I like the, I also like the idea that you know New York is, it's probably about like hundred meters across. It's just like oh, that Christmas tree is really near the hotel. It's really near the shops. Mm. <laughs> really near Central Park. The mum hops in a police car. They probably put the siren on for her and everything. <laughs> The worst police people, like, God, when yeah. she's, like, just having a very casual conversation, and she's like, I'm going to report my missing son, and then he's like, oh, well, how long has he been missing? Oh, well, he's fine, I'm sure. <laughs> really annoying. Yeah, it's not, well, yeah. it's not like, oh, you're missing, oh, look, all right, well, how can I help? It's just like, well, have you reported it yet? Ah, well, be right, won't it? <laughs> They'll find him. Don't worry, <laughs> the police will find him. You are the police. <laughs> I think it's I think it's very good writing. It's a full character arc within the span of a sentence, pretty much. <laughs> um, yeah. We haven't really talked so, about um, Harry and Marv yet in this film. No, we haven't actually. Uh, they're there. I think they're an injection of 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 hate. Good shit. No, I like them. <laughs> I love them. I love watching them. They're one of the only things that, like I say, it's utterly contrived and still rehashing stuff that they're in this film and what they do with them. But I'm happy to watch that. I just, I can watch these two fall over all day. I had uh, flashbacks when I was watching it this time. The uh, the high-pitched screams that Daniel Stern makes when he's being electrocuted. <laughs> oh, I had flashbacks to being really disturbed by that as a child. Well, I was disturbed by the fact that he's, he's, such a he's high... screaming in pain. <laughs> Screaming in pain, he turns into a skeleton. And then, what does. That's a John Hughes favourite, that is. That's just like uh, John Candy in in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles turning into a devil, isn't it? Cartoon reality. But yeah, he's screaming in pain, he turns into a skeleton. So, what does Kevin do? Turns up the power. What a sadistic, evil little kid he is. These guys were going to bite his fingers off last time. They're going to kill him if he doesn't kill them first. And he's just baffled as to why his death deadly traps aren't killing them. They, they keep surviving. Well, that, I wanted to ask that as well. Have they got superpowers or what? What's going on here? Are they indestructible? They, they have Cartoon logic. Yeah. Wolverine type. I guess it's an escalation. It's a natural progression from the cartooniness of the last one. What are they going to do now? Uh... And the stakes are that they were going to rob the uh, the Tillmany that Mr. Duncan was going to leave overnight for God knows what reason. And then, <laughs> then he donated to the children's <laughs> hospital, which Kevin has a, a relationship with because he walks by and waves at a very sickly, sad-looking boy, <laughs> which I quite liked. So, oh, right, yes, that's made it relatable now. Did, did you buy that as well, that a toy shop would give up the the one like the biggest night of the year year profits the one night that they spend the rest of the year basically like selling and like lost leaders and and advertising (laughs) towards turning a profit on that one night do you buy that it's not actually it's all that old mr duncan would do that he seems like a that's why the that's why man. that's in the next film. His uh, his son is trying to oust him off the board because he's like eighties <laughs> yuppie type, <laughs> and he has to defend. Uh. It. Uh, but yeah, I think it's not the whole. It's probably not the whole takings. It's just the ones he takes on his magic ghost till. 
uh, oh, right. it's just that one, and it's like a little. That's it's still just a, a fucking little... chest full of money. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's good. Literally it's a good chest. publicity, though, isn't it? Which he takes in cash. And he just he just sort of pushes it through the letterbox of the orphanage, <laughs> just <laughs> note by note. Hope they get it. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> Well, I, I for, for me it's uh, it, it's just the the first film again, but not done as well. And in that classic sequel way, it tries to do the same thing that made all the, you know, made everyone love the first film. But it just tries to do it bigger, and they, oh, they go to New York and all this. But as a result of that, you don't need the hotel, the toy store, and the mm. um, renovated house. You don't need the pigeon lady and old Mister Duncan. <laughs> it's just bloated. It's far too long at two hours. It should be oh, at least God. half an hour shorter. Um, and it, it, yeah, I, it's a four out of ten from me again maybe you like the film more if you have some personal attachment to it if you watched it a lot when you were a kid but not for me yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, I i agree that it's a classic case of diminishing returns isn't it you do the same thing again it's just not really as interesting um and yeah there's definitely bits of it that are perfectly watchable and kids film and all that i give it a five yeah well I guess I'm the most positive then. I I think it's very easy to sit through as messy and contrived and a rehash as it is. There was enough in it that I enjoyed, even though it's not a good film exactly. Um, I kind of agree with everything we've said, but I still give it a six out of ten, which I think is quite generous. Mm. But that is so generous. But it's Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) The season of goodwill, Cal. Well, call me Harry Lime, if that's the case. Well, you just wait until we get to Home Alone 3, Calvin. Yeah, Which right. right well, now. Have, did you two rewatch? Because I did not go back to I, rewatch. I, I did, actually. Yeah, I, I went back and rewatched this film. I, I watched this, I think, once on video. I, I, I seem to remember I had it rented out uh, maybe when I was off ill. Uh, although probably not when I was a kid, uh, so I must have been about eight, probably nineteen ninety eight. I'm guessing it will have been if I rented it on video. Yeah, I mean, you, you say rewatch as if I'd seen it before, which I hadn't. I don't think I don't, didn't remember any of it anyway. Put it that way. This this was the last theatrically released Home Alone. It, it was an attempt to uh, keep the franchise going without Macaulay Culkin, who quit acting, and they just said, "Fuck it, why can't it be a new kid? No one's here for." Culkin, are they? They're they're here for the um for the concept of a, a kid defending their home, mm-hmm. mm. which is and true to a degree. I think Alex D. Linz, who plays Alex Pruitt, is a far better actor, far more likable presence personally than Macaulay Culkin as Kevin McAllister. See, I might be able to go with better actor, but I I think, like I say, I think Macaulay Culkin's just got some sort of presence that makes him what he was. I remember finding this kid very relatable as a kid for whatever reason. He, he was a real like, yeah, that's a cipher I can put myself on, and I never really had that with the first two Home Alone films. Is that because Macaulay Culkin was likable? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that he appeals to you, Alan, isn't it? You know who else he famously appealed to? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! Oh man! Ooh, ooh. Uh, so. 
So, Home Alone 3, do, is it just... I, my memory is that it's just the same thing again. A kid is home alone and then burglars um, come in and he tricks it up to... I think it's got a nice amount of freshness to it. It It's okay. not... It's, uh, it's a middle-class uh, home and family, so it's it's a lot more relatable to the average viewer than this sort of hoity-toity rich family having a hard time in the first one. He is not left home alone for one extended period. He is off with chicken pox, which is something that I think all kids more or less go through at some point in their childhood. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so he's left home alone for extended periods at a time during the day, whilst this group of high-end burglars, so not... um, Europeans. Yeah, they're not just two burglars out for a score. They're they're you know diehard style terrorists who are <laughs> trying to they're intercept what? some high. Yeah. There's some bullshit with like a military grade computer chip that they were trying to. It's it's very Bond actually. It's sort of international espionage. Yeah. What yeah. the hell? What? And how does how does that how does the kid get wrapped up in that? So they to smuggle this chip through customs, they hide it inside a remote control car. And the mm. bag gets mixed up with someone else's bag in the flight, and it ends up going to the crouch, the uh, grouchy old uh, neighbor of this kid, who gives it to him as payment for him uh, shoveling the snow on her drive. And mm. then these these criminals track the car down to her home, and know it's somewhere in the area of this neighborhood. And the kid sees mm. them breaking into ho- homes repeatedly, but they're so good at, you know, deactivating alarms and leaving no prints that when the police come after he calls them, they uh, won't believe him. They think it's a kid with an over uh, overactive imagination. And ultimately, he has to take things into his own hands. And I, I think this kid is uh, very likable. I, I think mm. it's really handled very well yeah. um, that he takes stuff into his own hands. He He's very resourceful. There's a lot of new playing with gadgets. For example, the remote control car gets a lot of use. He straps a video camera to it so he can mm-hmm. use it to spy on the uh the the burglars. There's a whole like chase sequence where they're chasing the car around the neighborhood and he's controlling it from his bedroom window. And ultimately it all builds to a, a home alone siege where uh they realize that he has the chip, they're coming for it, and he realizes he has to defend his home while his uh, mum's off at some work thing and his dad's off that day. Uh, And I'm just going to come out and say it. Like, in my memory, I had this down as a bad film. I remembered liking Mm. it as a kid, but it has 4.4 on IMDb, and I just kind of thought, oh yeah, it's some shitty kids film. On the rewatch, I think this is better than the first two Home Alone movies. I think this is the best one. I don't give a fuck. Oh my. Like, there's a... (laughs) There's a little... I've heard this from other people. I, I know that uh, Roger Ebert was uh, among people who said this was the best one <laughs> at the time. Um, I think it just works better. It's 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 a tighter, faster-paced film. There's less contrivances, I would say, to get to what you're there for, which is ultimately this home invasion thing. I think that whole sequence is much bigger, and there's little elements of that, you know peppered in leading up to it I just think it works better as a film, it's far more interesting, you've got more gadgets, more Rube Goldberg machines and um, I like it Well, 
I don't agree that it's better, but I will. <laughs> I will. No, I will say though, it is far better than I expected it to be. I don't think I've seen it before. The first thing I noticed in the credits was that it was written by John Hughes, which I was not expecting, uh, and that yeah. definitely gave me hope. And I think that tells. Did you know who uh, noticed who directed it? Uh, <clears throat> I did look him up. He is is built a career for himself as the director of various films in which cartoon characters interact with live-action human <laughs> beings in a kind of awkward CGI form, yeah. the likes of uh, Scooby-Doo, uh, the, Smurfs. the Smurfs, yeah, and uh, uh, Big Mama's I, I house. Think he was in, I think he was involved <laughs> with one of the Garfield movies, and yeah, he directed your favourite film, Alan, so <laughs> Big Mama's surprised house. you didn't recognise him. <laughs> Garfield. Oh, what, really? Garfield was the guy who directed one of the next films. Uh, so not. Oh uh, right. So you you know his connection to Home Alone, of course. He he was uh, he was the editor on the original yes. Home Alone, which is presumably how he and got Home this. Alone too. Yeah. Yeah. Presumably. Well, he was an editor take. before he directed, and and yeah, this is his di- directorial debut. Um. Yeah. Just in the right place at the right time, I guess. I mean, he's he's a Does... real hired gun of a director, but. I, I'll be honest, I was surprised how much attempt at bringing a bit of flair to this film there was. Um, there's a lot of little visual gags and camera movement. Like, it's more interesting than it needed to be. Um, mm. That's not to say it's particularly well directed, but it's fine. It's fine. I mean, I, I have to say, if there's one element from the first film this is sorely missing, it's it's the uh, the... The likes of Joe Pesci and uh, whatever the other guy, Mark. Yeah, yeah, they are quite an anonymous bunch of actors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these bad guys, um, and there's not quite enough character there to bring them to life. And 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 particularly those characters feel like run of the mill kids film crap. You know? Yeah, I mean, it, it it tonally it feels like even Stevens the movie or something like that. It's it's it does just feel like kids stuff but i think it's kid stuff done very well you know i think the first two films walk an awkward line between being kid stuff and aspiring to something more but not quite managing it and i think this is just aimed at kids and it does a very good job of it personally there's a couple of notable cast members in there go on we have neil flynn the janitor from scrubs playing a a policeman (laughs) very briefly yeah that's right yeah i think he's played policeman in a lot of films and TV shows. Uh, we also have a very young Scarlett Johansson as uh, the sister of Alex Pruitt. Hmm. And, yes. uh, I, I mean, I'm surprised she went on to have a career after this, honestly. She's not very good <laughs> What? What's wrong with her? <laughs> She's shit. <laughs> she doesn't do it. She barely does anything. She, she, doesn't, doesn't, sh- anything she doesn't show any... You wouldn't watch this film and think that kid's destined to have a career beyond this. I don't know. I think she was fine. The brother is worse. Maybe, but he didn't have a career after this. <laughs> He's not even got uh, a photo on IMDb, Alan. Oh, I'm looking at him now. Um, there was definitely a couple of issues I had. Um, just little details. Like at one point, he's got a camcorder strapped to a car, and he's driving it, a remote control car. He's driving it around. It's a big yep, part yep. of the thing. How is he getting a live feed off that camcorder that he's watching on? Beaming a TV? it. Beaming it across just beaming, radio, okay. radio beams, feed. Beams, yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can I guess what are your issues? Okay, go on. Is it the 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 uh, parrot who, as we all know, is now an, an animal that mimics noise? It hears. Uh, it's it's just very. 
It's very interesting how the the noises it mimics just happen to give the impression that it it has like human level sentience. <laughs> it, it knows exactly power. what to say appropriately in the situation, yeah, or to make a joke. Yeah, yeah. I do hate a magic talking parrot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't even fit in. A, it doesn't even feel like it's a cartoon reality parrot. It, it, it never. It doesn't work, does it? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, that was definitely annoying. Did they did they kill the bad guy at the end? Because cause the very end of the film is the three henchmen having their mugshots, and the last we see of the main guy who's noticeably absent from that lineup is him being blown to to shit. You see him in that little igloo thing with a load of fireworks rigged to go off, yeah. and he kind of goes oh, and then you see the explosion from like the policeman of all the fireworks going up in about fifty feet, and the implication is oh we got him, but then he's not there at the end, so is he dead now? They, do we see them getting their mugshots? Yeah, the yeah, the other three actors are all there being photographed in front of the. Are you sure that happens in the fifth film? Are you sure you're not thinking that? No, it happens in this one as well. It does because the two of them are still like a bit frozen and. Yeah, it's dead then, yeah. Yeah, alright. Cool. So, <laughs> yeah, so it never pr- fully explains to my satisfaction why they don't just get a babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> or anyone, just one of the people on the street, which they kind of do, the old lady across the road, say, can you check in on him? Why not just leave him with her? Or, like, so anyone. Anyone, they just go, look, she's I'll give grumpy. you 20 quid. She's grumpy, and it's last minute, and she doesn't like how last minute it is, and they're just, like, they go, right, he's fine, she's there, he'll feel like he's getting a bit of independence. Plus, this was 1997, that's, like, the height of, you know, nanny cam paranoia about, hadn't that woman, hadn't that babysitter just murdered a kid, and that was in the news? (laughs) It was a bit late on that. Chicken pox, right? It's been a long time since I had chicken pox, no doubt of kids. Is Is it a disease where you get spots... And no other symptoms. Like you're not tired, you're not feeling ill, you're not sat in bed. <laughs> you get really itchy. Yeah. I don't remember actually. I, I remember being in bed with it. Lucky for us, our our protagonist never has to worry about the itching. It doesn't seem to bother him. He's obviously distracted. No, he itches once to set up that he's coming down with it, Alan. He itches once at the start and, and the uh the neighbour goes, Don't do that in front of a woman <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought would be a line you'd love. <laughs> Are they um are they visible on him though? Like no, they, they from the neck they, down. They do yeah, look. The they down. do look. Ah. He's got he's got the measles on him. He looks suspiciously like spots drawn with eyebrow pencil, <laughs> as opposed to like chicken pox. But you know whatever. And also, I, uh, conveniently enough, doesn't get any on his face. It's just yeah, under yeah, his yeah. clothes. He's a lucky boy. He's a lucky boy. <laughs> I um I did like the gag at the end. It's an obvious gag, and it doesn't really make much sense, but I did like that all the henchmen, as they're being lined up for their photos, have caught chicken pox and uh, oh, have yeah, got chicken pox in their yeah, photos. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was a nice little extra course, bit of If you get chicken pox as an adult, it is actually really serious. It is, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. That, that, well, well, their leader got blown to pieces, so they should count themselves <laughs> lucky. Um, another question. <clears throat> this, this might even be a thing in America. Especially in like sleepy, quiet suburbs. If you report, say, a burglary in the middle of the day, do six police come and kick your door down with their guns out? Or would they perhaps walk up, look for signs of entry, maybe knock on the door? <laughs> you know, or would they just kick the door in? 
Well, it is America. <laughs> you never know, do you? That's the thing. It depends, it's, it's, it depends yeah. if he specified the ethnicity of the burglar on the phone. <laughs> I don't know if we saw that, but... <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, yeah, lots of little bits and pieces that I just thought, eh, they haven't quite... I, I, look, I agree, but I feel the same way about the first one. There's a lot that doesn't work for me in the first one. I, I just thought this was a tighter, more compact, better version of the same sort of concepts and uh, I find it tighter oh. I liked it more and there's more fun traps one of them gets the head in a lawnmower and he's oh, he's yeah. dug out it's a lawnmower like, <laughs> <just> <laughs> across his face violent and the, and he's dug out a uh, he's he's dug out a pit under the bouncy uh, trampoline so they fall into some ice and probably get uh, uh Hypothermia and die. Like I liked it. I yeah. liked it. It was good. I like it. I think it's good. I give it a seven out of ten. I mean, I yeah, I thought it was kind of better than I expected. I suppose it was fine. I gave it a five out of ten. I think I last saw it twenty years ago when uh, leading into Christmas, the teacher just put on a video, and this was it. So I don't feel like I'm uh, qualified enough to give it a ranking. I was really pleasantly surprised with how enjoyable and decent a film it was, honestly, because, I mean, I, I was very hungover when I settled down to watch it, which might have helped <laughs> my enjoyment. This is probably the perfect film to watch when you really don't want to have to pay much attention or think, think hard, but it it just, I yeah, I loved it. 7 out of 10. Uh, the same cannot be said for Home Alone 4. <laughs> I watched Home Alone 2, 3, 4, and 5 back-to-back on Saturday because I had the worst hangover I've had since last year's Christmas party. See how it's relevant to the Christmas episode. And I didn't even drink that much. I didn't drink very much at all. I just got a really bad hangover. So I think I'm getting old and... Did the films help? Uh, Home Alone 3 definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Lifted my spirits a bit. This one, Home Alone 4, certainly did not help. And it was during this film that I figured out how to uh, create a second colour profile for the picture on my TV, where I turned the brightness down to like the lowest setting, um, <laughs> which I set it to for much of the film, because it was, it was hurting my was, head. Was it too bright for your hungover <laughs> it was, eyes? <laughs> it was too bright. I don't actually know anything about this one. I've not seen anything. Okay, well, uh, this is a TV movie. It's right. a rather baffling uh, film that is about uh, the McAllister family, but they've recast yeah. everyone. So well, the, the thing is, I, th- I think it's obviously not been written as that. And then at some point near filming, they've gone, what if we call this character Kevin and I... this character Marv? And that's as far as they've gone. I think it was written as that. I I read into it, and apparently this was intended by the producers as a kind of backdoor pilot for a Home Alone TV series. So I think they were taking a kind of reboot approach of... How many many siblings did he have, or who cares? Well, there was five of them, including him, and now there's three. Yeah, you end up with the implication that two of them died, which makes Mm. sense because of the negligent parenting they were dealing with. Yeah, exactly. Um, What, they actually died? (laughs) <laughs> well, there's well, two two kids who just aren't there. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, so there's yeah. Buzz and like one of the other girls, yeah. and that's it. I mean, one of them. Plus, yeah, yeah, Kevin 
in the first film is eight, in the second film is ten. In this film, he says in his own words that he is nine years old. Oh. So this film takes place in between those two films, when the parents split up for a while. That's weird. <laughs> it, but is it sort of like a reboot? It's or... bad continuity, is what it is. And uh, it, I think it's, yeah, a total... it's just they don't give a toss. Yeah, basically. But yeah, it is a very baffling decision to open with uh, his parents having divorced and mm-hmm. Kevin longingly watching. Uh, home movies of last year's Christmas. Sad that his parents won't be together this year. And you're sort of expected to piece together, right, that must be the dad, even though it's a different actor and mm. I don't really know what's going on. It, it's just, it's a very weird decision all round. And they, they directly it reference really the odd. the events of the other films here and there. There's a, there's a bit where they say something about we're not going to leave you home alone. And he's like, why not? I was fine last year. And then they go, don't remind me or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> well, all right. I mean, so you are tying it into that film. It's, um, and yeah. And the bad guy is Marv, Marv uh, without Harry. Yeah. But obviously again, played by a different actor. Um, played by uh, the rather <laughs> bizarre French. casting decision, French Stewart, probably best known as the third maybe fourth least notable actor to round out the <laughs> cast of Third Rock from the Sun. Uh, Definitely the fourth most notable he's actor. So, yeah. he's don't- I thought he did that voice as like a voice because he was playing an alien. But no, I think he's done he's done very he's probably the the most famous uh, blind actor though. Um, <laughs> he's done very well for himself considering that. Is he actually? <laughs> he squints a lot. He, was he in, just can't he was, seem to open his eyes. He took over from uh, Matthew Broderick to play the live-action Inspector Gadget. Oh my yeah. god. Oh, That's what I know me. him from. <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen that. But obviously, I know him from Third Rock from the Sun. That's it, really. Yeah. You can't get Joe Pesci, so who do you get to recapture some of that uh, magic? Someone from The Sopranos. The obvious choice is obviously <laughs> Missy Pyle, isn't it? Oh, right. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> who is opposite Marv as his girlfriend Vera? I Wife, didn't realize. Did at what point did you realize that was supposed to be the same character from the first film, Alan? When Kevin sees him and goes, "Marv," yeah, I had no idea until they both look at each other and go, "Marv, Kevin, I'll get you, you little brat." I was like, "What? That's meant to be Marv?" I, I, they oh, must God. have said Marv earlier, and I just missed it. But like, yeah. he's nothing like him. He's not even playing it remotely like him. Uh, I, I like him. Also, he's the short one now. They've got Missy Pye, <laughs> who's like six foot tall, as his, <laughs> his sidekick. So he's the little one yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I, I like Missy Pyle. She's not had the strongest run of credits in the world. I think it's quite saying something quite significant that this is probably the worst film I've seen her in. <laughs> uh, they apparently did approach Daniel Stern to reprise the role of Marv. Um, <laughs> and he he declined calling it, quote, an insult total garbage. <laughs> and I'm not surprised he found Stern. it insulting because they didn't even ask Joe Pesci. They knew that would just be a he waste of time. He did City Slickers too. <laughs> Why didn't they recast like a, you know with a cheap Joe Pesci? Why did they go with Marv's wife? Yeah, it's a very curious choice, isn't it? Yeah, mm. no idea. And and I say I, I like Missy Pyle, but uh, she she can't do anything to salvage this piece of shit. 
Uh, French Stewart in the right context is all right, but this is not it's the right context. Thin context though, yeah. Eric Avari is a very welcome presence in this film. Um, yeah. I kept, I, I kept, I kept kind of thinking, is that F. Murray Abraham? And then I realised that <laughs> they're not the same person. But um, <laughs> is there another creepy old person who saves the day? Not quite. So to be fair, mm. F. Murray Abraham is exactly the kind of actor who would turn up in something like Home Alone it's 4. Been, this is not beneath him. <laughs> uh, no, he, he plays a... Basically, this film, Calvin, it, to, to give it credit, they don't rest on their laurels. This has a new hook. Uh, this one is about... It's basically Home Alone in a smart home, which was very forward-thinking for oh, 2002. 2002. Uh, his yeah. dad has divorced his mum and is oh. marrying... Uh, very soon, an incredibly wealthy woman who has this incredible big house that you can say open doors, play music, and it does all of it. Um, and there, there are at least two instances where music's playing over a montage, and then the characters uh, really blur <laughs> the line between diegetic and non-diegetic music. And go, will you turn that music down? It's like weird thing to do. Um, and he, Eric Avari, plays the butler. Yeah, and it's it's, it's sort of role that Tim Curry would play, but yeah, he would play yeah. with a bit more kind of glee, I suppose. And he he's a welcome presence job. in this film. He's he's a little yeah. life raft of something good within a sea of turd. He's um, and there's what they obviously think is a plot twist. Uh, yeah. in it. In which he becomes like uh, helps him and becomes the good guy. I mean, that was pretty obvious. The two burglars, Marv and, and his girlfriend Vera, are casing the joint to uh, try and steal. Is it something? Oh, they want to a kidnap. Child. There's there's a royal family from some Denmark or some really European not necessarily all that. Like just breaking yeah. in and stealing something yeah. valuable would have been fine, wouldn't it? But there's some plot to kidnap the prince who's going to be there and hold him for ransom. So there, there's a man on the inside, that's what's important. They were setting all that up like they were going to kidnap a child, so they're like, okay, they're going to kidnap Kevin by mistake, thinking it's him, that's going to happen. Yeah. None of that happened. They just they could yeah. have been breaking in to steal the, the safe full of money, you know? It was not, not yeah. necessarily that whole bit. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the mm. prince only turns up at the very end. But um, the idea is there's a man on the inside and the butler's evil and he can't be trusted and he, mm. you know, has to... He's never really home alone in this one, is the other thing. He's usually trying to, you no. know, run around getting away with setting traps whilst the butler's yeah, there, never, like, never alone stop alone. setting traps! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the twist is that the butler's actually a nice, friendly man who's just trying to do his job and look after the kid and the man on the inside was the... Uh, the sort of cleaning lady that was set up as a nice person. But so obviously double yeah. bluffing you that it's just yeah. a bit... It's just a, it's a very flat, lifeless film. I know it's a TV movie, but like it's mm. just full of these screen wipes that... I went to see my grandparents the other week and I watched some home movies that were on a VHS tape that my granddad made and like he had better screen wipe editing than this film. <laughs> <laughs> on his 90s camcorder. So, I mean, I don't really have much else to say. The, the acting, that the kid's really shit and unlikable. Um, I mean, he's just a TV kid, you know? It's not his fault. But yeah. The new parents it, it, are the most bland, uninteresting... And there's, there's there's so many bits where they obviously just don't care at all. Like So, like, the, the burglars break in to kind of scope the place, and 
accidentally flood the house, and, and then the, the kid sees him, recognizes him as Marv, and then they just walk out like, oh, no, well, we'll be back tomorrow to break yeah. in again. <laughs> like, they don't have any mm-hmm. concern that he's going to, like, you know, tell the police or anything like that. And Dad's new girlfriend uh, slash fiance is sort of really nice and reasonable, but then they realize they've made her too nice and reasonable if you want to see the happy ending where his parents get back together. So they just kind of have to make her suddenly become a total twat. Um, yeah. oh, do his parents actually work. get back together? Yep. Oh, I hate that. I hate it and, when films do that. And they're and, really not well set up emotional oh, resolution. God, not at all. It's because it's because the dad's watching uh, It's a Wonderful Life on TV one night, <laughs> and he's like, hey, come and watch this with me. And she's like, I've already seen it. And he's like, yeah, I watch this every year with my ex. Why won't you watch it with me? And she's, <laughs> she's sort of like, well, I'm not your ex. Very reasonable thing to say. And, uh, <laughs> and then he sort of realises, huh, I guess she's not the woman for me. She won't watch this film every single year <laughs> when it's on TV. Oh, God. I can the reason was... Um, they they rewrote the ending to get them back together because they were trying to do it as a TV series and so, okay, we need the family together. But they didn't, like, go back and rewrite scenes from earlier to make it more And I, I more wish they left them stay apart. It would have felt more, like, original. Yeah. But anyway, it comes out of a... nowhere. It's so, so, so unfounded. Yeah. It was a real insult. Yeah. But also, there's, there's a bit... They, they get... So... They get trapped, him and the butler, the nice butler now, they get trapped in the basement while the other people are pillaging the house. And don't worry, though, they've got a cell phone. So who, who Yeah, would what the fuck that was circus? that? <laughs> so they try that and phone his mum. His mum go... No, sorry, they, the, the, the siblings pick up. They get pissed off with him because they don't. They think he's showing off because he's got a cell phone, and that was still fancy in two thousand and two. They hang up. He phones his mum again. She picks up. Then the connection cuts out because it's like bad signal down in the basement, and they think, "Oh well, that's that. That was our one, our one option. <laughs> Done. We can't. We can't try phoning her up again. We can't try the police. Obviously, obviously, we wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> just, um, they don't, they don't even write a line like, "Hey, the phone's out of battery" or anything like that. It's yeah. just, yeah. and and this is not just a child who might be thick. There's an adult there with him as well, so it's not just yeah. it really that. And like, yeah, don't at least. You know, have him drop the phone into a bucket of water or something in a kind of yeah, slapstick yeah. way. Make it do something. Yeah, yeah. Really, so some very weak writing in that bit. And the traps and everything are just a bit shit in this. Like, I, I give him credit for trying something new. Like I say, the smart home. It's a new location. There's a gimmick there. But ultimately, all it ends up being is that he tells the house to like misbehave. So yeah. and even then he's basically just doing remote control. It's what I was saying, the first film doesn't just have him shoot people in the face. It has him like rig a trap so that they have to kind of elaborately shoot themselves in the face. This film he basically just shoots them in the face. They 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 have this whole contrived bullshit where there's a remote control that's voice activated and he reprograms it so that mm. when it sa- when they say please stop or whatever it thinks that means go faster. And there's a, a spinning a... bookcase slash bar that he gets them to stand on. And then he, like, tricks them into setting it off. And then I think he makes it go faster. And then they say, please stop. And it goes even faster, even though he could have just pressed the button to make it go faster. And he's just watching them laughing from the side. Mm. It, oh, it's just terrible. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's all so much you could use. 
he records some of uh, French Stewart talking about getting in a bag and telling people to shut up, and then he plays it back to Missy Pyle, but he's re-edited it. So he says, shut up, you old bag, and stuff like that. And then she, like, comes in and hits him or something. But it's, it's just <laughs> not... Editing. It's, it's just... better than when I did that Werner Herzog interview. <laughs> 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 it was more natural than French Stewart's normal delivery, as you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just a bad film. I don't have much else to say. It's, it's what you'd expect from a crass shit. It is a bad film, right? But it's a bad film. But on, on IMDb, it's got a rating of 2.6, which is really, really like appalling, like as IMDb scores go. Yeah. And I think it's not that bad. I think that I thought I was mm. expecting it to be worse, I suppose. Yeah, I think this is probably more of your 4.4 film. Than, yeah, exactly. <laughs> than the Home Alone 3. Praise I think, indeed. I think people just took issue with Home Alone 3 very unfairly because Macaulay Culkin wasn't in it and it was like this reboot. And I think people took issue with this because it then sort of did something even worse, which was kind of shit all over the characters and the continuity. Not that it really matters. It's, yeah, it's crap in it. But but yeah, I I, I agree. That is a very harsh rating. Um, Although it is more or less in line with what I give it, which is 3 out of 10. Also me, I gave it 3 out of 10. But I don't think our views are representative of IMDb general populace. (laughs) Well, in this case, they kind of are, I guess. Yeah. 2.6, 2.6, that's closest to a 3, isn't it? Mm. Um, and so I was very hungover, feeling very ill. It was probably about 9pm at this time. I was like, how am I still dealing with this hangover? I only had 7 <laughs> drinks, that's fuck all. So I was really getting annoyed. I'd like, I'd cooked food and tried to eat it, and I just couldn't eat it at this point. I was, I was not happy. So the thought of having to watch another one of these films, <laughs> I was furious. And then I put it on, and Malcolm McDowell was fucking in it. And I was like, what? <laughs> Did that make it better or worse? Better. Well, at first I was very sad for him, but I yeah. I don't know, I, I had a very slow realisation that this was a much better film than I was expecting. Um, mm-hmm. it, they, they go for a much older kid than we've had in previous entries. Well, he's not supposed to be, it's just an older actor. He's supposed to be oh. ten still. It's just he's about 13. <laughs> yeah, I just assumed he was meant to be like a young teen. But it doesn't yeah. work. It, it actually is a problem because he looks 13 and the way they treat him and the way he acts is like an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, whatever. Well, I thought that was fine. I, I thought it played fine. I, I just took it as he was like 12 or 13. And you just got no concept little... of kids' ages, have you? <laughs> well, no, I thought he was about 12 or 13 as the actor was, and that the kid was just a little wuss baby because he's scared of ghosts. And that this this whole film adds in a, a hook of um, the idea that the house might be haunted, which I think is quite nice. Yeah, Gives I like that a as new a new, a new concept. But, but Calvin, it's not like we're ever expected to believe it's haunted. It's just this child thinks oh. it might be haunted. And yeah. then the bad oh, guys right, okay. come along... And they think it might be haunted, or at least the simple ones do. Yeah, well, at first the kid thinks that it's haunted because he sets, you know, little ghost traps and things to test if doors have been opened while they've been out and stuff like that. But then subsequently the bad guys think it's haunted because they think a a mischievous poltergeist has set a load of traps made (laughs) out of wrapping paper and stuff. (laughs) But the important thing is that we as an audience... Malcolm McDowell, of course, has a moment where he's like, you're not a ghost at all. You're an annoying little brat. <laughs> oh, God. 
But yeah, the the um, the important thing is, Calvin, we're we're not expected as an audience to believe in ghosts. It's it's all we all we we're all right. Okay. In the yeah. Middle yeah. Of what's going on? I thought it was and a the nice fact that the kid flavor. is convinced that the house is haunted. It makes total sense. Yeah. Because uh, uh, it's they move to a new town. This family and the kids aren't happy. They move to Maine and there's it's a haunted Maine, house. It's exactly. It's, Maine. it's the most spooky state. And uh, it's a big house, and they're kind of asking how they got it so cheap, and the the sister suggests maybe that someone was murdered there. Um, it works. It's it's good. And um, mm. the cast in this are uh, uh, such a step up from the previous one. So, mm-hmm. I mean, Malcolm McDowell, love him to pieces. Such yeah. a welcome presence as the, the, the new head burglar bad guy hmm. um these are these are like a slick heist uh operation uh it's malcolm mcdowell the brains eddie steeples who you may know is uh crab man from my name is Earl, <laughs> yes. among other things as the safe <laughs> cracker you say among other things i don't I can't think of anything else but you know whatever I saw him in a in a film called i think it's called would you rather which was like a a fun uh, Herbert, uh, not Herbert West. What's his name? Jeffrey Combs' uh, vehicle that he was in. Um, but he he brings a lot of, lot of charm to this. I think. But you know how in My Name Is Earl, as the Crab Man, he's like the the bit is that he seems like he can't act because he yeah. just looks like he's like a very natural, <laughs> unrealistic character. Yeah. Apparently, that's not <laughs> not just that character. Yeah. Just exactly the same in this. <laughs> yeah. I think it's fine. I think he works as a kind of bumbling mm. henchman. Uh, I think he's quite. He's a likable presence. Him. I like him. Um, I think he could do a lot better. I think also worthy of note in this film is Doug Murray, who plays the dad and oh, yeah. is for for a kind of nobody TV movie dad actor mm-hmm. is really giving it his all, and he brings a lot of character and charm to a role that could have been very bland. Do you know I agree, and it's definitely um, it's like he's he's really playing that kind of like the dad, like sitcom dad almost. But no, it's more like kind of Christmas commercial dad. It's it's a bit of oh shit. It's got a bit of a Malcolm in the Middle feel. You you just swore Alan again. (laughs) Fuck. Sorry. Yeah, it's 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 he's not he's not on par with Brian Cranston, but he's no, no. he's very he's on par with uh, even Stevens again. To keep going back to that as a cultural touch point, um, I watched Shia LaBeouf's uh, cinematic therapy session, Honey Boy, the other day. So I've got. I wondered even why Stevens you were bringing that up constantly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just that era of kids' TV, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. It was on around the same time these movies were. But no, I think for this level of film, he's doing good work. There's a lot of weak gags that he makes play. Yeah. And in the hands of a lesser performer, they wouldn't have worked. I also thought the mum was quite good as a as just as it felt like she should be doing better things, if you know what I mean. Just felt like yeah. as an actor there was some ability there. Hmm. Um I did look her up. She played um Played Morticia Adams in the new Adams family in the late nineties. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well I did I did think she has a very stern face, and then I saw that and I was like, <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, um Yeah, so I, I yeah, definitely one of those things where I think the actors are better than I was expecting. Yeah. Well, another 
a similarly likable presence who's no one of note, but again, I, I think he turns in quite a good performance. Bill Turnbull as the kind of internet friend of the oh, yeah, yeah. the boy. I think he was very likable. You could definitely see him um, being on the same list as uh, you know. You go to Jack Black, you can't get him. So you go to the guy out of Reaper, that short-lived. Uh, did you ever see Reaper, Alan? Kevin Smith did no. the pilot. Well, there was kind of a, a cheap man's Jack Black, who in fact is in Zach and Miri Make a Porno. He's the drunk guy who goes into the coffee shop and they just serve him when they're shooting. Oh, right, um, yeah, he's your second down the list. And then third down the list's this guy, Bill Turnbull, I would say. <laughs> very likable uh, presence, brings a lot of charm to it. Uh, Calvin, the, 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 the main kid, he's obsessed with video games. He's just playing video games hmm. the whole time. Doesn't want to go out and see the world and interact with people. Hmm. He has a friend online, and then about halfway through the film, it's twist reveal is that like his friend online's this college kid who's much older than him, and they both thought they were the same age as each other, and they're a bit awkward. And, and uh, he ends up giving a load of advice through the lens of how to play video games as to how to defend his home because hmm. he thinks it's a game that the kid's talking about and then uh, he finds out it's a real thing hmm. and he Freaks tries <laughs> to like contact the police but he ends up getting through to the kid's mum and saying like your kid's in danger I know I met him on the internet your, your, your daughter's <laughs> locked in the basement so they send the SWAT team to his house and he gets pepper sprayed it's yeah. there's a nice there's a there's a nice comedic edge to this film that I think is just yeah. pitched. It could go too far. It could be a bit cringy, but it just gets away with it. There are a few little gags taking shots at the first film that I really enjoyed as well. Hmm. It also has enough new ideas like yeah. that, enough progression yeah. that it feels like you're doing something a little bit new. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've got you've also got um, Ed Asner as. Um, the the boss who's sort of extended cameo. Oh, God, now yeah. I don't know if he's playing it as a drunk, confused old man, <laughs> or if he was. Well, just, he's at a Christmas uh, party, you know. Yeah, I'm not sure yeah, how much he's acting. <laughs> but yeah, like yeah, again, just sort of nice little presence. Well, he's he's playing it as like a. The villain at the start of a murder mystery, because <laughs> the parents go to a Christmas party without the kids for a couple of hours, mm. and then they get snowed in, and they're in this remote mansion, <laughs> and they're told none of you can leave. <laughs> we won't be able to plow the house for two days, and all this stuff. It's, uh, it's, yeah, yeah. As I said before, right, there's a few gags at the expense of the first film that I really enjoyed. There's a bit where the kid. Uh, once he's left home alone, he, he does a kind of risky business montage of, you know, eating junk food, oh, yeah. jumping on the sofa, and then he shaves and puts aftershave on, and he slaps his face with it, yeah. and you think they're going to recreate the, ah, moment, yeah. and he just kind of does it and looks like, yeah, fine, huh. <laughs> whatever. What's, so the, what's the problem with that? <laughs> he's, he's not the same characters, is it? It's a uh, different continuity. No, no, it's different, right, different okay. characters. Different, right, okay. And there's... Uh, the whole the whole plot is about this painting that is in the basement of the house that they're not aware of, but the the burglars have come to get. It's a lost uh, masterpiece. Yeah, and it was painted by uh, Edvard Munch. Oh, uh, yep. who obviously painted the scream. And at the end, the parents are like, "This painting's by by Monk, Monk, you know the scream." And they do the hands on the face. Ah. <laughs> at the kids, and then the kids kind of go, "No, don't do that!" It's 
Um, <laughs> Malcolm McDowell has a few... There's a bit where they freeze the stairs, and Malcolm McDowell sort of says something like, we're not a, a group, a couple of two, two-bit wet bandits, or whatever he says. He's <laughs> not quite it, that on the nose. Yeah, well, yeah he, like he says, because, like, we're not a couple of two-bit bandits, or something. Because, yeah, because basically when he's setting up the traps and stuff, you see him wetting the steps, and I thought, oh, that's a bit... Uh, you're just reusing yeah. the same bit, but then they call it out, and uh, and he and he says, "Oh, we're not falling for that." And then they even get the cake and eat it because the police, when the police turn up at the end, they run into the house and slip on the ice and fall on the house. <laughs> so, really, it's everything. Oh, that's <laughs> it's cool. Hmm. But yeah, I agree with you, Saul. It was there was some nice bits there that were. It was, and also the direction as well. It was yeah, it's far more of an attempt at a film. This is a TV movie as well, but it felt like the last one was a TV movie. It felt like they were just making some shit to go out on TV and fill an hour and a half. This feels like the people involved actually cared and wanted to make something good with the opportunity. That's exactly right, Sol. It felt like a film. It didn't feel like, oh, let's chuck something out, cash in. It felt like a legitimate attempt to make a, a decent film, and like the mm. director they've got is a director with a fair lineage. You know, he he, he did Garfield, Peter <laughs> Hewitt, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, stuff like The Borrowers he did oh, uh, back yeah. in the nineties, and and the Bill and Ted, Bill and sequel. Ted's bogus uh, bogus journey, yeah, yeah. So like he's you know he's got a, enough enough reputation that you know he can obviously knows what he's doing, and mm. um, you know he did Thunderpants with. <laughs> but, but you know whatever um, so uh, it, yeah it, it feels much better than it has any right to be and yeah I, I, is that because of Home Alone lineage is it, is it still that kind of reputation that will draw mm. better talent to it than it's just some throwaway Christmas film I, I think you probably could you know you, you can probably put a bit more money behind a Home Alone TV movie than a generic ABC TV movie and Malcolm McDowell's yeah. not going to turn down anything if you pay him enough money and uh, I can't imagine Eddie Steeples is you know <laughs> holding out for a better role yeah, to come along and <laughs> yeah, Bill Turnbull's this is his most notable credit and you know so I, I I think they just took some care with it I just think you know the the people casting it and directing and writing it just it doesn't feel like a hack job. It feels like a, a yeah, exactly. something made with care. And, and I mean, to jump straight into a rating, I was really pleasantly surprised with this film. Uh, there was a bit in the middle where it began to wane, but then they, they got to the big climax at the end. It all came together so nicely. Mm-hmm. There were enough little self-aware moments and gags. Oh, quickly before you rate it, uh, one thing I did quite like... The, the traps, they do have a kind of Christmassy theme. Yes, so that was very nice, yeah. Malcolm wrapping McDowell gets wrapped and... up in wrapping paper. Yeah. Um, the woman, Debbie Mazar, she... Poison gingerbread gets... cookies. <clears throat> oh, yeah, so... No, no, so the, the woman, she gets... Um, her hair sort of pucked up into horns because it gets matted. And, like, some reason she gets a red nose, I can't remember. So she looks like a red-nosed reindeer. Um and then, yeah, Crab Man eats these gingerbread cookies that, are, that have been there to poison him, and then drinks think, glue. What, what's he put in them? Like chili powder or something? Vinegar and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah. The, the the idea is that he drinks this milk as he thinks, but it's glue, and it's a very contrived thing to get glue on his face. Hmm. So then, when he gets 
uh, cotton wool blowing at him. Well, that's it. He turns on the tap and the yeah. tap's been rigged to spit cotton wool out of the garbage disposal or whatever the fuck that is. Uh, yeah. It the, works. The problem with it's it was that silly. it was kind of like a silly trap that wouldn't slow anyone down for more than like <laughs> Yeah, I did think that. It's just annoying. It, it, it felt quite contrived. But I, I at least appreciated they were trying to go with this kind of Christmas theme. Yeah. Debbie yeah. Mazar yeah. ends up trapped in a snowman somehow with this weird yeah. kid next door. Well, like, this kid next door has just built a snow fort and and uh, has loads of snowballs. They set her up earlier as like a, a, a main kid, which means that all they have to play with is snow. So when, yeah. the, when the kid goes out there, she's like, do you want to build snowmen, snow angels, that kid's snowballs? Captain hmm. Soul. Snow that child is a boy, actually, Sol. I do understand your confusion because it seems. <laughs> it's, is it really? It's a boy. It's referred to oh as a God. boy, and I checked, and it's a male actor because I couldn't believe it either. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's a boy. I was hungover. <laughs> you can't tell these days, can you? You never can tell these days. Um, yeah. You know, um, I, I work with someone who uh, who was. Uh, I think we were talking about Billie Eilish. I don't know if you're familiar with her. One of the the biggest musicians of the day, Alan. Um, <laughs> She she is a young woman, and uh, we were talking about her as a she at work, and then this guy I worked with was like, oh, she? I thought Billie Eilish was a boy. And, and we're like, no, it's a girl. And he was like, oh, my uh, my my daughter like really fancies her because she thinks it's a boy, and <laughs> she, she, she's adamant that it's a, it's a guy. He's like, no, no, that's a girl. He was like, oh. wait a minute, I've seen pictures of Billie Eilish, and very feminine, not obviously um, a girl. I mean, the look names. at some more pictures, because you, you can see how she might pass for a quite feminine boy in the um, mm. in the kind of emo mould. Anyway. Mm. Uh, well, it's, all, it's all up for grabs, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> um, uh, I, 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 we haven't mentioned that the kid has a sister. It's probably worth bringing up. Oh yeah, so yeah, he's not he's never left home alone either. Left with his sister. Hmm. But they come up with quite a nice way of um, getting her out of the picture. Well, at first, she's just like, I'm going to sit in my room on my phone, fuck off. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. I mean, uh, scram. <laughs> <laughs> Which works as a really nice, not too contrived way of getting phones out of the picture. Because it's a new house. They presumably not had a new phone installed or whatever shit. No one uses Well, the internet is working anyway. immediately. He's playing oh, his video okay. games. Uh, <laughs> so shit, I don't yeah. know about that. All right. Well, they haven't, they haven't got a, f- a landline phone anymore. Who does? Uh, they. they take the kids' toys away, like, they take the video game controller and the phone away because they're punishing them when they leave them home alone. Um, But then they leave the phone because they realise the kid needs it for emergencies. And she runs the battery down so that they can't... And there's some bullshit why they can't charge it up, I can't remember. But anyway... That's after she's got trapped in the basement. Yeah. And she gets stuck in the safe room with the painting the which basically room. takes her out of the picture for the rest of the film but hmm. um it's nice just to have her as an extra presence as a, a reason why the kid isn't properly home alone it's nice that they're not just you know bending over backwards to do that and also um gives her character a bit of an arc they get some nice humor out of she's stuck in there with a book war and peace and she kind of <laughs> looks at it like Am I fuck gonna read? And eventually decide she is gonna read because there's nothing else to do. It's it's all just played quite nicely. This film. So do you know what I do? You know what? So the note I made was, and especially at the end. Well, you know, it's a big sort of happy ending, but it's not a kind of horribly contrived happy ending because at no point do you feel like this family is in any great turmoil. There's a bit of you know 
because they've just moved house, the kids aren't happy, there's a t- bratty teenager yeah. and all that. But it's like, you know, ultimately they all love each other. And you never get that from Kevin McAllister's family. Yeah. You never get exactly. this sense that they actually might like each other and like yeah. enjoy each other's company. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 the word I used was wholesome. I just got a hu- nice wholesome feeling from this. It's because these parents only have two kids and they can actually like focus some attention on them. But when you've got like twenty kids, you just can't you lose track of them, you don't know what's going on. What like what what do we call that one again? I don't even know. Which, which one's the smart one? I don't fucking Number know. Number seven. Whereas yeah, two kids, that's manageable. So basically, I was really pleasantly surprised with this film. I was expecting another piece of shit like Home Alone Four. I gave this one seven out of ten again. And that's wow. a very generous seven out of ten. But I think this film works at the level it's pitched just fine. Mm. And it's very enjoyable for what it is. Yeah, I agree with that. It does feel like sort of retreading the Home Alone stuff that's been done, but it it brings enough new ideas. Uh, And yeah, much better than he had any right to be. I feel like I've been very positive. I've given it a 6 out of 10. Mm. Um, But again, yeah, it's it's sort of a kid's film, really. It'd be better aimed at kids. But, you know, think about... I mean, frankly, it's probably one of Malcolm McDowell's better films of the last ten years. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's uh, it's all right, and it kind of made me sad that we haven't got more Home Alone than that. But Home Alone is a Fox property, and Fox was just bought out by Disney, and they have announced that among their plans is a a Home Alone reboot. So basically, Home Alone Six, because you know. Five and four and three were all basically reboots. Hmm. Um, for the new Disney Plus streaming service, I, I hope that that is good and not just a shat out, you know, Home Alone four all over again kind of thing. <laughs> I I honestly I find it it'll obviously never happen now under Disney, but I find it very strange that we never got Home Alone. Uh, three with adult Macaulay Culkin. It just seems like such a slam dunk yeah. bit of nostalgia generation. that well. we just rake in money. I, I'm aware they've done a few kind of. Is it because he looks like a crack addict? <laughs> well, he, he's. I don't know if he'd want to come back for a full film or anything. Well, he's forty he just, now. He'd have to be the yeah. dad, surely. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And well, they did it. do it's that that short Google um, commercial. It was like sixty seconds long, and it was him in the house and using the voice activated Google yeah. stuff. I mean, it was a lot of it was shot for shot stuff. Um, and he he did a um, he did a web series as well, a sort of comedy web series where he played a comedic take on the character as a mm. PTSD riddled guy yeah. dealing with that's the, what I the events of the film. Yeah, I watched one of them. Mm. It was nice. It was all right. It was nice, but well, it was a fun little five-minute thing. I didn't want to see any more. <laughs> but... Yeah, and apparently the actor who plays Marv recorded a response video of him being like, "You stay away from me, Kevin McAllister," or something. <laughs> which sounds a bit desperate, if you ask me. But <laughs> but we know Joe Pesci's come out of retirement. Yeah, he's still yeah. up for it. We can de-age him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need to. I honest, honestly. I think if you made a film about adult Kevin McAllister rigging traps and it was a very self-aware comedy playing to an adult market, I think it would clean up. I think it would be one of these slam-dunk R-rated comedies making shitloads of money, like The Hangover and and all that kind of stuff. 
I, I think that would go down a treat, and I'm surprised it hasn't happened. <laughs> and apparently Ryan Reynolds is uh, working on something called Stoned Alone, which sounds like oh. they basically <laughs> had the same idea and couldn't get the rights to Home Alone. Mm. And I don't know if he's the guy to do it, but uh, I mean, definitely not if that's your title, but <laughs> whatever. But yeah, you you get you you do it as a really serious like home invasion drama. What's straw dogs? <laughs> and, and he has, and he has to uh, yeah, and he has to like panic room. Mm. Yeah, to, uh, defend the house. Hmm. But with MacGyvered booby traps, set it in a, some, set it somewhere that like adults know, like an office. So he's got to ring yeah. traps with like staple staplers and hole punches and and the coffee like die machine. Hard. Die hard in an office. Oh, uh, I I think there's a lot of light. I think you could just make Home Alone movies for the rest of time, and I don't think it would ever get too old that you can't find new ways to riff on it. And I hope Disney realise that and put some proper talent behind it. I don't think they will. I think it's going to be shit. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> any like any other Christmas business? <laughs> Did you, did you just uh, sort of like like uh, knock some papers on a desk? Then it sounded like you were. Uh... I picked a pen up. Oh right. Oh okay. It's still quite officious. The end of <laughs> ceremonies. So what are, you, what are you doing for Christmas, guys? Are you going to be home alone like me? No, I think I'm going to two different families, like the Vicar of Dibley, and you have to eat Christmas dinner. Everyone, eh? <laughs> 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 I'm far more annoyed about my work Christmas party, which, dare I say, has oh, been hijacked, God. and we're going to a vegan buffet that's costing us forty. <laughs> is, is this twentieth-century foxes doing? No, <laughs> part of the merger. No, 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 nothing like that. <laughs> it's Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> What do you say? You've got to go. You've got to spend forty pounds to go to a vegan restaurant. Yes, forty pounds, and they're not even going to give you any meat. It's a, a buffet as well. It's London, mm. isn't it? Thank God there's a cheese board. The good, the good thing is that we, as a family, have decided not to bother with presents. <laughs> so oh. We just gonna, can't be bothered with that. Oh, I don't like <laughs> have this you at ever, all. Have you have you ever bothered with presents? Any of you? Yeah, because yeah, last few years, what I'll do is I'll go up. On the train, my dad will pick me up at the train station, and we'll pop into co-op on the way back, <laughs> and I'll I'll spend like forty quid, buy him a bag of bugles, of booze and some bo- box of chocolate and that, and then uh, jobs are good. I can imagine your mum giving very odd presents, <laughs> like you un- you unwrap a card and it's got like permission to to leave the table without saying thanks for dinner or something <laughs> written on it, and just like weird little things like that. No. A lot of stuff, the sort of stuff she's just found around the house that she wraps up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, is is a is a bit of that cat's fur that I had put down for no reason. <laughs> Thought you might like to remember it. I remember when she gave your brother that weird bicycle gnome thing years ago. <laughs> what was that? What? I don't Do even you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Facebook. Yeah, it was like yeah, this weird yeah, yeah. gnome that he she told him he should put on his bike. Oh, it was yeah. like it was like she thought she was annoying him by making him take it around with him, but he was just like not bothered. He was like, "Yeah, it's a gnome. I'm not embarrassed by it. What's the problem?" 
<laughs> but she thought she was doing some funny she... prank. I don't know. I think I don't think she was trying to be funny. I don't think she's ever tried to be funny. <laughs> uh, I've been given presents such as <clears throat> presents such as a cheese grater. I got one year. Uh, tip X. I got <laughs> present. Yeah, it could be a good cheese grater. Yeah. yeah. It was a good cheese grater. Did you say Tipex? Yeah, I got Tipex. <laughs> so she forgot to buy anything and just looked in the cupboard. Yeah, pretty much. I'm not kidding either. That's <laughs> my my this is, my parents have never been that good at presents. Like when we were kids, we got toys and stuff. We, I presume we kind of asked for specific things that I can't remember, or you know, Christmas Santa's list and all that. But. Yeah, we've never been a big present-giving family, <laughs> so it's never been a big thing in my mm-hmm. life. But how do you, like, how can you quantify your love for each other without material <laughs> goods? We have no need for love. Happy Christmas, everybody. Come back next week, because it's the end of the year, isn't it? So you know what that means. Review everything we've done. You've not had, any, you've not had a review of the year yet this year. Whoa. And we realised it's going to take about seven hours so we're splitting <laughs> two so it's part one come back next week <laughs>